What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Episode 21 of the Sunday Sauce Podcast. I almost lost it there, Joey. We're vets now. 21 tries in. It was bound to happen once. Yeah, it was. Happy Sunday, everyone. Big time interview today with former NFL center Bruce Johnson, Rochester native, UMaine grad. Awesome insight that he gave us being an offensive lineman in the league, looking up to um, Jason Kelsey and being able to interact with the Eagles for a training camp. So I personally, Joe, never learned so much about offensive linemen in my life as I did in that half hour to 45 minutes we spent with Bruce. Yeah, I've, I thought the same way when we were talking to, to Joe Lorenz about like fitness. That's <laughs> how I thought about this time, but it was football. I was getting, we were just getting schooled about yes. everything about blocking that you could ever imagine. Yes. So if you, if you listeners can listen to his interview prior to some of the football games on Sunday, I promise you, you'll be watching football in a different way, uh, especially within the trenches and the O-line and D-line. So I'm excited to, to analyze some things that Bruce taught us. But nonetheless, it's our 21st birthday, episode 21. We'll kick it yeah. off. Yeah. Taco milk cheers. I am drinking a screwdriver right now in honor. Of our 21st, so. Mm-mm. I feel like poo-poo. Joey had a long night last night, but a good one. He's riding He's riding a wave. Indeed. 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 We'll kick it off with our victory lap. Big 10 football is back. And before you give your thoughts, Joey, I just want you to listen to this really quick. O H I O baby, you can't keep him out. Oh, okay. oh, so all right. So explain me this: when it comes down to crunch time, were the, they're playing four less games? No, they're playing two. Two less games? Yeah. Well, it depends. Okay, so they're playing they're playing eight regular season games, and the SEC and the big conferences are playing ten. So if you make your conference tournament, your conference championship, Ohio State or, or whoever in the Big Ten, rather, will play nine, and then the SEC will play 11. So, yes, it's a disadvantage for the Big Ten. You got to basically win out. So, the, obviously, the, the year-long question is, do you take a, is a, a one-loss a one SEC team better than the undefeated Big Ten team? Right. That which everyone's going to be talking about. Yes, that will, be the, that will be the talk of the town. So, when they announced the, the Big Ten coming back, Ohio State – jumped into, I think it was the third highest odds to win it all. It was like Clemson, Bama. They, they were, they were two in the first poll, right? Ohio State was – I believe They were so. second. I believe so. But, yeah, Georgia, I think it was, or Oklahoma, one of those two teams went from like 4-1 to one to 12-1 to one is to win the championship as soon as Ohio State got added to the mix. So, that'll be interesting. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it's exciting. Yes, it's not going to start until almost Halloween, but – for Joey and I, who are Big Ten football fans, and for everyone out there who's a Big Ten football fan, it's going to be exciting to kind of have everyone back. Pac-12, I don't really care about the Pac-12, so they can – They're still out, right? As of right now, yeah. I don't it's know. too late now. I, I don't think I'm at like, – the Pac-12 is relevant. Like, this is still even crazy how this is even like happening. Now we're just like, eh, we'll do it now. Yeah. The best part, do you see all those tweets? I don't know who is, I don't know who is saying it, but I think one uh, – there's people saying, like, this is like the – 
the darkest day in Big Ten history. You're like, this is a big mistake. I think and then somebody – Because I, they're playing? Yeah, they're going against their initial um, choice to not play. But then somebody at Barstool, I forget who it was, was like, so if this is the dark, darkest day in Big Ten history, then what does that make like Jerry Sandusky, like what he did? <laughs> if that was that in the Big Ten. <laughs> or or, um, or which McCall, Ohio State, which is, what's his name? With all his sketchy no, – the assistant forever, Meyer. Back oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, forgot, I already forgot his name. But it's just funny how people just yeah. – I don't know. It's okay to, you know, retract things, admit you're wrong, and move forward. So I'm happy for the Big Ten and for college football. I think it's great. They should, they should have been just playing. I don't know why. They, I don't know. Yeah. Funny, they were trying to set an example. And they, they were, were yeah. the only yeah. one that did it. Yeah. That, they literally thought people were going to follow suit or conferences were going to follow suit, and the Pac-12 did, and then everyone else was like, let's hold off for a minute. We got SEC was like, psych. Yeah, everyone's already on campus. They're already practicing. They don't have to rush an answer. So, I mean, it is what it is. But God, gonna, I think some teams are going to stink in the Big yeah. Ten. Just like coming off raw and doing, like, just playing a game. They're going to be awful. Well, the good thing is they're playing only each other, so they're not going to go play a team that's already played like five games or six right. games. You know what I mean? But yeah. college hoops on the other end, starting up on November 25th. Looks like the regular season will be cut by four games. There are going to be no scrimmages in the season, and no recruits can visit until the new year. But it's good to see they'll still be getting the majority of their season. I think some of the preseason tournaments are getting moved around or canceled. So the Maui Invitational and the Atlantis one are either getting canceled or moved around, something like that. I think Maui in specific is getting moved inland, like somewhere in yeah. the – the main part of the states, so that makes sense. That'll be cool. Uh, breaking news: I actually saw this morning too. Uh, Deion Sanders is going to become the head coach at Jacksonville State. He's rolling right now. I thought he was just going to be at Barstool. Is he? Wait, isn't it? Isn't was it Jackson? Is it? Isn't it Jackson State? I think it's Jackson State. I don't know. Either way, yeah, I don't know how the hell he's going to coach when he literally just got hired by Barstool. So I wonder if that was ever discussed in his agreement. You're, you're right. It is Jackson State. Apologies. Jackson, yeah. It is Jackson State. Yeah, I literally Still, yeah. a minute ago, so that's kind of cool. He said he has no coaching experience outside of his prime academy that he made that lasted three years, and now he's an offensive coordinator. Right, yeah, it's, dude, it's Deion Sanders. Like, yeah. College football is all about recruiting. And like, oh, sure. He, he can put – like a small school like that, you can walk into any kid's house like, yo, come and play for me. They're like, yeah. okay. <laughs> you want to go sit at Bama or you want to come start for me? <laughs> for, Deion, for Deion Sanders. Yeah, right. Final thing, non-sports related before we get into Bruce's interview. I don't know for all of you listeners out there, and I don't know about you, Joey, but that Cuties movie on Netflix, it's this French-based film, and it's these, like, pre-teens that are on this dance team doing like twerking and, and all this crazy stuff. So I wanted to bring it up just because it's in the, in the culture, pop culture world and it's, it's nuts and it's going viral. It, people are unsubscribing to Netflix and there's a cancel hashtag cancel Netflix out there. And it's wild. Like it's, I don't even recommend looking it up because it's like uncomfortable that like someone made a movie like this and felt like it was okay. But it's very out there, so I wanted to bring it up because it's yeah, it's weird. It's, I mean, yeah. Hey, Netflix, just play The Office. Yeah, you got The Office, every every single Adam Sandler movie and like stand up comedy, everything else is is junk. And like I, it just I don't, I don't know who 
with everything going on in the world right now, like somebody had to like, I'm assuming like screen this movie and like decide if it goes on Netflix or how the hell that works. And just with everything going on, they're like, yeah, this is what the world needs. Young, young girls doing not young girl things. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, I, you know, I don't know. I'm so out of it right now, but that's just Bra- a oh, weird breaking topic. news! Breaking news! Uh, Big what? Ten, Big Ten conference schedule is out. Ohio State, Michigan, on December twelfth. Wow. Okay. Okay. Ohio State, Penn State, October thirty first. Michigan, Penn State, November twenty eighth. Anything else relevant? Michigan, Michigan State, October thirty first. Uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, November 14th. It's official, boys and girls. And the Big Ten Championship Week is December 19th. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I do. I, I can't wait until it comes down. Where I just, you know that I, I think Ohio State's going to go probably undefeated. And you're going to have somebody in the SEC who, who only loses one game. There's going to be a huge yeah. fiasco to see who gets like, the – the last or whatever seed they get in the playoff. Mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be interesting, but it, it always is. There's always there's always perkiness with with mm-hmm. it. Let's let's get into the interview right now with Bruce Johnson again, former NFL center, spent a training camp with the Eagles. Awesome guy. Pumped to learn football from him moving forward. <laughs> the X's and O's. So get your get your uh, learning caps on, everybody. We'll see you on the on the back end. Welcome, everybody, to an awesome interview here with Rochester's finest, University of Maine grad and former NFL center, Bruce Johnson. Bruce, appreciate you, man. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. This has been super cool. Shout out to my lovely lady friend, Rachel, for, for hooking up this interview. I know we <laughs> know each other back working out at the gyms back in Rochester. Mm-hmm. He's back, so... When Joey and I started this podcast, we were going through people we got to have on. I'm like, got to have Bruce on. Like, this is awesome. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Sweet. So, wanted to get right into it. I mean, we just finished week one of the NFL. Kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on who you're thinking is, is looking good so far. Maybe some surprises on a positive or negative note or just anything that you maybe saw that you want to talk about. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge NFL fan, um, you know. Uh, me and a bunch of my guys are doing fantasy football, so I got to stay locked into it. Um, my first take from from the first week of the NFL, man, is uh, I feel like it's very sloppy right now. Um, a lot of the you know quarterbacks, you know Pat Mahomes and you know guys guys like that. I mean, you expect them to put up huge points, man. But I think um, you know not having those preseason games is really detrimental to a lot of those superstar guys. Um, you know that we look at, um, you know, especially up front with the offensive line. People don't realize, I mean, you know, you go through training camp and you're blocking the same guy day after day after day. You kind of get accustomed to, to, to learning that guy's moves, and, and that's about it. So now you're seeing, you know, when you watch these games, quarterbacks are getting sacked like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to just go into a game when, you know, you're just basing everything off of film and you've been facing one guy for an entire month. You used to blocking that guy, and now you can't block the other guy. So um, I think not having preseason games has affected them the most. Yeah, I think we see it too with the kickers, man. It's a lot of like missed extra points, missed field oh goals. I think all around, just pretty, <laughs> you know, you said a pretty, pretty sloppy play in the first. Week. But having those games, like 
it's a cool point you mentioned. I imagine I could imagine like blocking your teammates, and all of a sudden, week one, you got to face like Aaron, <laughs> like Aaron Donald or like someone like that. Like, not yeah, what I do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as you see, that was a that was a disaster, man. Watching that Tennessee game, and um, you know, watching the kicker, like I felt bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's not because he was – it's Kostowski. He was like a legend for a while. Exactly. And all, all of a sudden, he's exactly. just shaking balls left and right. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, they said he had hip surgery, I guess, uh, prior to the right. season. They, they just assigned him, uh, you know, 11 days ago. But at the end of the day, I mean, when you got a legendary Hall of Famer kicker, you don't expect him to miss, you know, know. three or four kicks in a row. That, that, was, that was crazy. <laughs> Nuts. So, I also – Okay. Before, before you go, Joe, I just wanted you also, Bruce, and pardon me for not kind of starting with this, just wanted to give give us a little, you know, background on, on your journey to making an NFL roster um, and through mm-hmm. UMaine. We actually had Ernest Edwards on at the very beginning of our our time here in the podcast, and we'll get into okay. that relationship with him later, but kind of just a quick little synopsis of, of your your travel through your football career. All right. So, yeah. Um well, it's, it's pretty unique for me. I didn't start playing football until seventh grade because I was always over the weight limit for peewee football, so I've never played. So I was a baseball guy for about 17 years of my life, first baseman. Um, then uh, I ended up getting you know, seven full scholarship offers to play Division One football. Chose to go to Maine after, after seeing how many guys they sent to the NFL every year. Um, ended up starting my redshirt freshman year, got thrown into the fire. Um, there was some beast in our league that year, a bunch of guys who went to the NFL and, uh, our starting center went down with a sprained ankle and they threw me in there. Never played center a day in my life. Um, you know, so that was, uh, that was interesting to say the least. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, went on, went on through my career at university of Maine, um, ended up, uh, being a three-time All-American, um, you know, and I got the award for the best center in the country, um, for FCS football my, my senior year. So I think that's really kind of what really kind of pushed me um, into my role, you know, as far as going to the NFL. Um, you know, going through the draft process, very stressful. Um, I was a guy who I thought I was going to get drafted by San Diego. You know, they were, they were talking me up pretty big, calling me and whatnot. Um, had a workout with them. Um, you know, we got to the we got to draft day, first round. They drafted center, uh, Max Turk, rest in peace, just passed away, uh, you know, a little while ago. Um, but then we get to the sixth round, which is where they told me I'd be drafted at sixth or seventh round. Um, they draft another center. So now I'm like, okay, turn the TV off. I don't want to watch anymore. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, after the draft, I mean, I was blessed enough. I mean, I had about, you know, six or seven teams on the phone um, that wanted me to come in as a priority free agent. Um, and, you know, I ended up going with Philly. I mean, they offered, the mo- offered me the most money. Um, it, it was very enticing for me. So I ended up going to Philly and, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was all up from there, pretty much. <laughs> Always a big Philly fan. Yeah, go birds! Awesome, yeah. awesome, That's a crazy story. <laughs> I, I got a question for you. And honestly, I might as well ask it now. So, I guess when you were at Philly, I know you got to compete with with Jason Kelsey, who's one of the best centers of our lifetime for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, like playing behind a guy and competing with him to get the starting spot, obviously, like, did you pick up anything from him? Like, what were like what the was a guy like him was like an all pro pro bowler? Like, what does he tell you as the guy who's like fresh to the team? Like, what do he help you with? Um, you know, I mean, it was kind of crazy. It was a very crazy experience for me. So just a little background knowledge. My favorite player on the universe going through college was Jason Kelsey. So I go to the Eagles and I'm like, okay, I, I can't, I can't be all over this guy. Like, oh my God, you're my favorite player. <laughs> like, you know, so I, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to play it cool, but, 
um, you know, it was it was just a, a very unique experience for me to be in the same room with that guy and be able to learn from him. Um, I feel like Philly Philly wanted me to be there because our games were very similar. Um, you know, him and I were both in a room full of guys that were 6'5", 6'6", you know, 340-plus pounds. And then there's Jason Kelsey, which is the smaller center in the league, at 285. You know, but the guy is – I mean, he's, he's a pro bowler. I mean, he's a beast, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and his game is based a lot on, um, you know, getting out in space and blocking at the second level, which is, which is, which is very important when you get to the NFL. Um, so, you know, I kind of modeled my game after him, you know, I would, you know, come to him after practice, ask him for some pointers and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, during practice, you know, not getting a lot of reps because they were trying to get the starters ready. Um, you know, I was just watching him and, you know, focusing on him as much as I could, trying to, trying to pretty much mimic all his techniques. And then when I got in there, you know, trying to do the best that I could. That's awesome. (laughs) Favorite player, and you're like you're playing with him. Yeah, no, it's hard. To get. Yeah, man, <laughs> it was. It was dream, I feel like. <laughs> it, it was. It was definitely weird, man. It's because at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's a business. You can't go right into a business and be kind of starstruck because at the end of the day, you know these same guys that I grew up watching on TV every day. It's like now nah, I'm in the locker room with these guys, so it's like I can be starstruck and forget what I'm here for, or you know you got to focus up and you know, try to make a roster. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely tough, especially for a small school guy like myself. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely tough getting there. And then when I finally got there, it was like, okay, I kind of got to put all the all the big NFL, you know, lights and glamour stuff behind me and, you know, realize I'm still here to play football at the end of the day. Right. That's a very fine line. That's that's super cool insight. Absolutely. <laughs> but wanted to fast forward to the present day and you ran – the Rochester Combine, which I personally love, and I'm sure everyone else who, who saw it and heard about it loved it too, the fact that you were paying it forward to these athletes come out of Rochester because we clearly have some talent mm-hmm. that, that has that ability to the next level. So I kind of wanted you to, to tell us a little more about how you got the Combine off the ground and, and how that went from a you know behind-the-scenes look. So, yeah, I mean um... – I mean, the first thing is, I mean, you know, I've been I've been training all of these guys. You know, I have NFL guys, you know, come back to, come back in town and whatnot, and you know, stop by the gym and train with me and whatnot. So, I mean, I've definitely built my brand up as far as you know the combine training and you know the offseason training stuff. So, you know, I've I've been training these kids since they were in college. The ones that are, I mean, the ones that are in Rochester, um, you know, since they since they first got to college, training those guys, and then finally we got to the point where it was like, okay, everything is getting shut down. Um, you know, every college, well, all of those guys' colleges had pro days somewhere, somehow. Um, and they kind of got shut down last minute. So now, you know, we're all sitting here at the gym, you know, trying to figure out, like, okay, what the heck are we going to do? You know, obviously those guys are panicking because, you know, for, for small school guys, man, like, they don't, they don't care that they turn on the film and, you know, you're watching a University of Maine or University of Albany. Like, they want to see the guys from Alabama, you know, and that's just – the nature of the business, man, I mean, for small school guys, if, if you're not one of those, you know, SEC guys, you're not going to get a look unless you have a combine. And that's just – that's the bottom line of it. Um, so, uh, you know, we linked up with a couple guys in Rochester. Uh, you know, we were looking for facilities and whatnot. We ended up finding one in Irondequoit. And, um, you know, I kind of took off from there. I'm like you – know, I text all the guys. I'm like, listen, I got all the equipment to run a combine. You know, I've done combine training for a bunch of people. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll put on the show for you guys. Um, I teamed up with Quentin Goss, another local guy in Rochester mm-hmm. um, that owns a production company now. And, um, yeah, he did all the video editing and everything, and we streamed it live on Facebook. 
Um, had about five or six scouts actually in attendance on, on the stream. Um, but those guys were able to take that video, give it to their agents, and send it to all 32 teams in the NFL. So it was definitely a good experience for them. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, because that's a, a big lack of what we – again, me and Frank grew up in the Oxford area. So, like, mm-hmm. being – like, if you're excelling at sports, it's hard to – even if like the best of the best, it's hard to be seen sometimes when you're in like again like smaller city in Rochester oh, yeah. up north, like small and mm-hmm. rural small schools. So like the fact that you're doing that is, I'm sure they all love love you and appreciate it for it. It's like a yeah, big yeah. deal for them to get that next step. Yeah, of um, course. I mean, honestly, I mean, it it would have been something that would have been bigger. Like I was contacted by the U Albany strength coach. He wanted to send a bunch of guys. I had some guys from Buffalo, but um, you know, it was just the fact that one, it was more dedicated to the Rochester kids, trying to get them on the map. And number two, it was like I was under such so many restrictions with the whole coronavirus thing where it was like I couldn't right. make it too big because I didn't want to risk it getting shut down, you know, so. Right, right. right. So then going off to that, I'm sure – I don't know if you have plans obviously to keep doing it in the future, but just going forward with the kids who are in college who have, like, obviously the raw talent to go hopefully to the NFL, like, mm-hmm. do you find yourself – like, would you teach more so to, like, teaching good habits like the weight room and the nutrition, or do you want to focus solely on, like – football skills and getting them like football ready is there like a like what, what's what's the balance like with that um I mean I, I guess it kind of it kind of it depends on where you are in your football career um me being a high school coach now um it's all about the skills and kind of teaching them mm-hmm. the game of football um while at the same time trying to develop their bodies um you know high school athletes they're going to grow regardless whether they lift or not Right. I mean, you know, you're, you're 16, 17, 18 years old. You're not going to start growing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you're, in, when you're in that aspect of life, it's more, um, you know, me trying to teach them the mental game um, and pretty much just giving them like, little pointers on everything that I learned from college and from the NFL. Um, you know, the way the high school game is now, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to get an offer. It's like you just post your video on, on Twitter, and next thing you know, you get an offer the next day where, you know, when I was in high school, it wasn't like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, so if coaches are really keen in on your film in high school and they're starting to see you use these techniques that are only used in NFL, it was like, okay, you know, we got to sign this guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to my, my college kids and my, and my pros, um, for them, it's, it's, it's more fine-tuning your skills. Um, you know, I always say perfecting your craft. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you've done what, what it took to get to that level. Right. But – now the mindset becomes, okay, you know, what mentality do we need in order to take it to the next level? Right. Um, you know, whenever I'm training a kid, I always have them, have them write goals down. Like, if you're in high school in Rochester, okay, your number one goal should be to make AGR if you want to make it to the next level. If you're an all-graded Rochester kid, okay, now, now we can go from there because you're going to get more looks. You know, when you're in college, I don't care if you're a freshman, you know, a walk-on, doesn't matter. You know, your number one goal should be to be an All-American because if you feel like an All-American, you're going to get looked at, you know? And then, obviously, when you go pro, I mean, it doesn't happen for everybody, but, you know, you want to be all pro. Um, right. You know, so for me, I mean, you know, even in my career, you know, I had that same mindset, you know, going through every single stage, you know, getting to the NFL, you know, it's, it's a different beast. You know? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I had a question uh, based on, like, preparation. So, obviously, we, we – we interviewed Ernest earlier and he's what they call, you know, the, the skilled position, which I personally think linemen are plenty skilled. I just think it's like <laughs> one word for like you know, the receivers, running backs, D backs, the skilled positions, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But what types of things do you do differently as a, as a lineman than, than a, a per se skilled position would do in terms of 
preparation for a draft or to get signed. Obviously, you know, you have your 40 and your benches and all the generic stuff. But, like, yeah. what do you do differently outside of a combine setting to prepare yourself compared to what someone like Ernest would do? Um, you know, outside of the, you know, athleticism stuff, I mean, for me, it was especially important to know the game of football from a film aspect. Um, when I was in college, um, you know, I made a lot of calls up front. But then I got to Philly, and it was like, okay, the center makes every single call. And that's what mm-hmm. makes Jason Kelsey so special. Mm-hmm. You know, when I met that guy, like, if Jason Kelsey had to line up at quarterback or line up at safety or line up at receiver, he can go do it and know exactly what he's doing. Because once you get to that level, the center makes every single call. You know, everybody, everybody's heard the old classic, you know, Omaha, Omaha, you know, on the TV, yeah. you know, from Peyton Manning. But what you guys don't realize is – even before you hear that Omaha, like that center is making every single check for the quarterback. All the quarterback has to do is walk up there and you either you stay with that check or you check it to something else kind of thing. Um, so for me, it was more of the film study, man, um, because when you meet with these coaches, um, you know, whether it be on the phone or on a Zoom call or, you know, in person, as a center, the first thing they do is they, they put you on the board and like, okay, you know, draw this defense, um, draw this play. How do you block it? How's the defense going to react? Um, and a lot of other positions don't really have to do that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's more, that's more lineman slash quarterback kind of thing. So I think that's really, that's really what's unique about linemen. Um, you know, they, they take that crazy wonder league test, which I think is, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the craziest questions, man. But, you took it, you had to um, take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was crazy. But I mean, if you look at the history of the wonder league test, it's always the left tackle, the center and the quarterback top three. Um, you know, that, that's for a reason. Because like I said, you know, the center makes all the calls. The left tackle are the eyes for the center because the center is always down holding the ball, you mm-hmm. know. So I'm always communicating with the left tackle. And then after that, like I said, the quarterback's making the checks based off of whatever I say. Very interesting. I thought of it that deep. That's crazy. I know. No, no. <laughs> well, it gets, it gets yeah. crazy, man. I'm like, I'm not, I played football through high school, but, like, I, obviously it doesn't get that. Yeah. So it's, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's. I what. mean, I honestly like for me, it's so hard to enjoy a football game because I'm literally <laughs> sitting here and all I can do is like I got like X's and O's everywhere. The center. Yeah, like it's it's crazy, man. It's crazy. So you need you need like uh, behind the behind the quarterback. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. the end zone camera. <laughs> that was funny. That goes great to my next question because I wanted to kind of pick your brain just being a lineman. So, would you say, and for lack of a better word, I know both these are very important, but is it more important to be in sync with your line? or the quarterback when you go up to the line of scrimmage? Like, again, they're obviously both vastly important, but if you were to kind of pick one to lean towards, would you pick, like, being full sync on the line or being full sync with center and QB? Um, so, yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, the one thing, um, you know, my O-line coaching college taught me um, was that the O-line is the only unit on the field where if one person messes up, the play will not work. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that goes for the center, the guard, tackle, it does not matter. If one guy messes up, the play cannot work. So, you know, for any guy up front, I mean, that's why you always see offensive linemen always hanging together. Like, I got to know what you're thinking before you even think it. You know, I, I got to know, you know, what you want to go eat for lunch before you even – before you even see the options kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you got to – it's definitely more important for the offensive linemen to be together because at the end of the day – um, you know, I can make a call up front for my guys, for, our, for my five guys up front. And if we all do the same thing and I make the wrong call, the play is, is still going to work because right. it's the most important unit. I mean, you got five guys working together up front. Everything starts up front. So, mm-hmm. you know, e- even if everybody else is on, on the wrong page, 
if that offensive line, you know, makes their blocks, whether they're wrong or right, the play is going to be successful. Love that. It all starts up front. That, that's yep. bringing, that's bringing me back to the football days. This year, <laughs> screaming, it all starts here. Fire, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, going back to Eagles camp, you know, take yourself back, like it's end of week one. Mm-hmm. In a pro camp, like, what were your initial thoughts on pro ball against what maybe you thought coming in? Like, was it what you thought it was going to be? Were there surprises? Like, can you give us a little insight on, on your week one? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I had so many thoughts running through my head, man. Like, I think the biggest thing is, is you realize when you get to the NFL and, you know, you got to remember, this is coming from myself, which is a small school guy. So, you know, I'm, I, I wasn't used to everything that you would get at LSU or Alabama. You know, we, we worked off bare minimum and, and that was that. So, um, you know, getting there, you know, I kind of realized it was really – it was a business, you know. So, like, when you get to the NFL, especially if you're an undrafted guy, I mean, you're just a number, you know, on the back of a jersey. You're, you're, not, you're not a name. you got to make a name for yourself. And, you know, when you get there, it's all about – I don't want to say it's not about having fun while you're playing, but – it's more about focusing, man. Like it, like it kind of, it kind of took the fun out of the game for me because I had to be so serious because, you know, I wasn't that that kid that was on full on full scholarship, you know, playing in college, you know. So the, the coaches don't love you unless you're a first round, second round, third round draft pick. You know, mm-hmm. people don't realize this, and especially if you saw it this year, from fourth round down, you can get cut any day. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't have a lot of money invested into you. It might be a lot of money to the regular person outside of football, but as far as the NFL, it's, it's not it's not a lot of money invested into those you know fourth rounders going down. So, you know, the only time your your spots really solidified is if you're a first or third rounder, man. So those guys that are fourth round going down, it's like you know you got to do every little thing right because you're gonna get killed if you don't, kind of thing. Right. Um, right. And it kind of takes it kind of takes the fun out of the game, man. But once you once you get a hang of it, you know, you you start to get your swagger back a little bit. And, you know, I mean, you can do what you got to do. But when you first get there, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it was terrifying, man. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. <laughs> you know, because, because you know, like, it was like from the meeting rooms to, to, to you know, the walkthroughs to the practices, back to the meetings again, like, all day long, it's like, you know, you're getting ridiculed and you're getting critiqued. And these are all things for me that, like, you know, come from a small school. Like, I wasn't used to making every single call up front as if I was a quarterback. So when you go to a school like Alabama or LSU, you're prepared for those things already. And that's why you see the success rate of those guys in the NFL, because they're already in those what they call pro-style offenses. Mm-hmm. Right, right. A lot, of, a lot of colleges don't have that. And you see, like, even, like, you even see a lot of star players that go to the NFL and they, and they fizzle out within a year. It's because their, their college didn't prepare them to go to the NFL. So now, you know, like myself, I'm taking that, I'm, I'm taking everything on my shoulders, trying to figure out, okay, you know, I got to make this call, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. Like it's, it was all a new learning curve for me. See that yeah. Yeah. that pro style word is a big buzzword. I feel like in college ball, yeah. the the way you broke that down again, I never even knew why it was called pro style. I just always figured it was, you know, I have formation. Like they would run kind of <laughs> spread, like, but now it makes more sense, like in depth, like how much you have to know, even in your position alone as a center. Yeah. So much more than you ever thought was, like, yeah. necessary, you know? Yeah, man, that's what I mean. I mean, if you watch, you know, the NFL draft and all that stuff, they always talk about like, the quarterbacks that never play under center. 
Like, you right. can't play in the NFL if you can't take a snap. Right. I mean, every team goes under center at some point. I mean, the NFL is the pro style. Right, right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, a lot of that stuff, if, if you haven't prepared for it in college or within in your pro day training, you're, you're just not going to be prepared when you get to camp. Mm -hmm. Now yeah, you're already yeah. behind the eight ball because instead of being like those guys that are prepared, now you're, you're like you're learning the little things instead of learning the big things. Right, right. Yeah, they're pros for a reason. I mean, I, the, I think the best word to use is focus. Like, I feel like once you get to the pros, like, everyone's just so locked in, like, Gotta do my job and then trust the guy next to you to do his job kind of thing. It's everyone's like everyone's gotta lock in and be on be on the same page as you said. Oh yeah, of course. And you um, know, I mean being being a lineman, I mean it's just it's just more stressful because there's so much stuff going on. But I know you know, I guess when, I mean yeah. if you're one of those guys out there catching the ball and doing all, you know, running the ball, it's yeah, a lot got, more fun. You have guys you know. trying to kill you every game. You have guys trying yeah. to fall in your back every game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I mean, yeah, it, it is what it is though. <laughs> Yeah, but um, so my my question next goes kind of off of like being prepared when it's kind of goes out the window. So I'm, I'm always curious when a play kind of goes awry and like the QB like either like scrambles or like there's you know pressure on from one side of the pocket like and they get out and they start running. As a lineman, is that just like pure chaos or do you guys kind of have like a plan B? Like, hey, if this play gets like broken up and we got to like scramble around, like, do you guys kind of move as one or is it like see a guy hit a guy? <laughs> um. You know, the NFL is a lot different. I mean, it's just another one of those things that I thought was weird because when I was in college, my, 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 my college coach was, like, so anal about being in between your guy and the ball at all times. So, okay. essentially, that, that means your guy better never beat you, essentially. Right. Um, and then, you know, if that quarterback was to scramble, you better be locked on to that guy blocking him. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys watched the Eagles game. I mean, Carson Wentz got sacked, what, seven or eight times. Mm -hmm. And – you know, it was it was interesting because, you know, the 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 TV recorders like those guys kept putting the camera on the offensive lineman, and so many times you would see those three or four guys standing on the line of scrimmage, or Carson Wentz is in the backfield, you know, getting his teeth knocked in. Um, the NFL, for some reason, doesn't really put an emphasis on on staying locked onto your guy. Um, you know, also a lot of things change when you're getting paid to play. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of those guys are getting paid more than the coaches. So, you know, you can only tell those guys to do so much right. at the end of That's the day. True. That's true. <laughs> you know, so, you know, a lot of those rules just, you know, they, they go out the window kind of thing. But, I mean, for me, um, you know, like, like I said, I was always taught to, you know, try to, try to stay locked down to your guy. But a lot of instances, man, I mean, you'll watch those games and you don't see it anymore, which is kind of sad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've always, I've always take, taken precedence, man. Like, nobody touches my quarterback. Nobody touches my running back. You know, you, you got to pretend like you're, like you're protecting your mom back there kind of thing. Right. You know, so I'm always either, you know, trying to block for those guys or helping them off the ground, make sure they're not on the ground for a lot of time because, you know, people take cheap shots and whatnot. So, yeah. I mean, that, that, that was a big thing for me. But, I mean, I guess it's not that, that big in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, like, when, that, when those plays happen, I always – the first thing I look at is the line – and I mm -hmm. always find like, oh man, here comes some corner or safety down that has no business being in there. Say like cleaned up, smoke them. Yeah, throw them out the club, man. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But going off my respect that I have for offensive linemen, it's so much of the game, if not all of it, you're just there, just clamped on your defensive lineman, especially use a center. Sometimes your job is to block the biggest dude on the line at, at nose tackle. So like. Mm -hmm. Please explain to me how you're supposed to move someone like that. Like, they're usually, like, the biggest dudes. I'm thinking, like, B.J. Raji, for example. I'm a Packers fan. So, I'm thinking, like, back in the day, B.J. Raji was there. Like, mm -hmm. you <laughs> plan to, like, move them back to the second level? Or is your plan to just, like, sit there and just hold them up 
and just um, in the backfield. So that's a pretty that's a pretty deep. It's a lot deeper than what you think. Yeah. Okay, it's a pretty deep <laughs> question. So, so go through the draft process, right? Every every NFL team is either man scheme or zone scheme. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you have your zone scheme teams, you're gonna see smaller linemen because they want to have faster guys that can get to the second level. The Eagles. Okay. Right. Then you have your man scheme teams, which are teams like you know the Vikings or you know the Redskins every now and then or the Pittsburgh Steelers, which have the most massive linemen you've ever seen in your life. Because a man scheme means you have to block your guy. It's kind of like what you just said. Sit there, take the punishment, and block your guy kind of thing. You're not worried about really, you know, trying to, trying to rush to the second level. It's about mauling guys up front. Um, so, for me with the Eagles, um, you know, there's a lot of technique techniques. Um, I don't really want to call it position blocking, but it's all about getting your body in the best place for your, for your running back uh, to be able to make a read. Um, and, that, and that's what the zone scheme is all about. Uh, when you're in a man scheme – like, you know, for a lack of better words, like those are the most badass guys. Like yeah, your job you're just is hammer each other. Yeah. yeah, it's just you gotta just kill that guy. So <laughs> I mean, like like I said, I mean it gets deep because it's all about body type. Um a guy like me would should never play in a man scheme offense because I'm just not big enough. Usually like if I walk into the NFL alignment room, I'm I'm gonna be your smallest guy. And we're talking about like my I'm I'm six three through twenty. Yeah, yeah, you aren't you, you aren't know? a small guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but a six three three twenty standing next to a six seven three twenty, that's a lot different. <laughs> it's crazy, absolutely yeah. insane. <laughs> but uh, that was great insight. I mean, I just obviously I knew that the line was very in depth, but hearing it come from like the horse's mouth, like hearing it from a lineman, like it's so cool hearing like what you guys have to go through. It's not just like hey, hit that guy. It's like there's so much, there's so many layers yeah. to it that, like, that goes through your head. So I'm I, have, I, have a new, I have a newfound respect for linemen now. Yeah, I'm literally watching football this Sunday, and like to your point, I'm not gonna watch, watch it tonight. <laughs> I'll watch the game tonight. I'm watching the trenches. That's it. I'm seriously, man. Like if you if you watch it, you, yeah, you'll see you'll see a lot of different things, man. If you just watch it, man. Like for me, I, I can't help but watch it now. Right. I'm right. like sitting here like grading guys. Like all right, that was a good block. You should <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Like <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, we'll go into like kind of like that little quick hit round now, and um. Just kind of a little fast, uh, fast uh, pace question, but my first one. So I do kind of have a beef with linemen. So I gotta ask you, how the <laughs> hell do you guys jump off, jump on a false start when you guys know the snap count and the ball's in your hand? All right, so that's a pretty interesting <laughs> question. Um, so as far as snap count goes, you'll see left tackles jump off the ball um, the most. So um, you know, snap count in, in the NFL is very traditional. It's like wide eighty, wide eighty set hut. Um, if you ever watch the left tackle. That left tackle is going on the second white 80, okay? And the reason why he does that is because you got your Jadavion Clownies or TJ Watts or Von Miller right. on the edge. Those guys know the snap count, too. They're not stupid, <laughs> you know? Right. So, in order, in order for you to get a jump on that guy, you have to jump the snap count. Now, it's the center's job to help out your left tackle. So, I'm not snapping the ball, I'm not snapping the ball on set hut. I, I got to snap that ball on white 80 and kind of as that ball releases my hand, the quarterback has already said hut kind of thing. So you'll see so many offensive linemen jump off sides because you're playing in the NFL with these, these defensive linemen are the most freakish athletes <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, man. Like, so, I mean, you got to figure out a way to beat them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. When, when they're like six, seven running four, four, 40, it's kind of hard. Yeah, to man, it's crazy. Not, not go false start. <laughs> it's crazy, man. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, coming, coming from us, right? We're never getting in the trenches. <laughs> oh, yeah, come on, man. Whatever you can do to get it to get get a, get ahead of the game, pretty much. For sure. For sure. So, are you a uh, preferred run block or pass blocker? If you have a preference. Um, I would say I would say run blocking. Um, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm pretty pretty nasty guy in, in the trenches. I like to say. I mean, I pr- kind of hang my hat on that. So I, li- I like getting pancakes, man. <laughs> Best dad out there. Best dad out there. Yes, sir. <laughs> so going going off the trenches, I know I hear all these like rumors, like funny stories, like guys getting like poked in the eye in the piles, or you know, little cheap shots. So what is there like? What's the worst that can happen to you in like a trench pile up? Oh, you can only imagine, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine I mean, a lot of cheap shots getting thrown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've had so much stuff happen, but at the same time, I mean, I've also given out a lot of punishment. Oh yeah. I uh, mean, pretty much anything you can think of goes on under those piles. Um, you know, that's why when you see, like, a fumble on the, on the football field when you're watching TV, that's why it takes so long for the referee to break it up, man. Like, you, <laughs> you wouldn't even imagine what's going on under that, under that pile to get that ball back, man. Like, it always know. seems like one guy jumps on the ball, and then, like, the third guy always ends up grabbing the ball from him. Man, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's, a, it's an all-out brawl, you know, when you get to those piles. Man. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They look terrifying. terrifying. It is. It is. <laughs> that should be its own stat. Recovered fumble from mosh pit. <laughs> Listen, man, that's why you never you never see the little guys jump in there, man. Yeah, right? Big mm-hmm. boys. You don't mm-hmm. want to get squished in there. Nope. <laughs> um, so going back to the blocking thing, are you do you prefer to block for a pocket passer or someone who does a little more scrambling? Um, it depends. I mean I've 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 played with both. Um, the thing is, I don't mind blocking for a pocket passer, but you better know if you're going to get sacked, throw the football. Right. Okay. I, I've, I've played with guys who sat there and, and took sacks because they because they weren't runners. Um, I've also played with guys who are like they make one read and if it's not open, they're running. Both of those can be bad things. I mean, you got to be a guy like if you watch Lamar Jackson, it's not too hard to block for him because he's going to make his reads first downfield, and if nothing's there. His instinct is to run. He's not going to take sacks, which is great for the offensive line. Right. However, when you watch a guy like if you watch Tom Brady now, Tom Brady can't go anywhere. So, you know, if you watch that Buccaneers Saints game, Tom Brady was getting killed like never yeah. seen before. I mean, the guy's 43 years old. He can't run, you know. So a guy like that, if he didn't throw that ball away, you're taking a sack. Those sacks, nobody looks at the stats as far as like, oh, how long did the quarterback hold the ball or – you know, where the, where the receiver's locked up. Nobody cares about that. At the end yeah, of the day, the offensive off of line give up a sack. Right. You know, so. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, like I said, I would definitely say, I mean, I like a little mixture of both, I guess you could say. Sure. <laughs> You're right, right. Makes sense. And then uh, so kind of go off that. So who who would you say is the toughest guy you had to block in the NFL or I guess really any level of playing football? Uh, all right, so there's two guys. And there was like, there was levels to this. Okay, so. Um, my first year playing football in college, um, I had to block this guy named Zach Kerr. It was a game that our center went down. Zach Kerr is a starting defensive end for Carolina Panthers right now. Um, guy's like 340 pounds, 6'5". He was the same size in college, and he literally probably got four sacks in a row when I, when I entered into that game. It was a nightmare. It was crazy. Um, so respect to him. <laughs> and then, obviously, you know, go to the Eagles, like Fletcher Cox. I mean, that was like – it was a joke. Oh, I couldn't imagine like, that. <laughs> He's scary. Like, he's he's the kind of guy. I should have brought he's him up. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's definitely a scary guy, but the most scary thing is, like, 
he's one of those guys who like he he fools around in practice all day, and you never know when he's gonna like flick that switch. But when he flips that switch, somebody. <laughs> yeah, when when he flips that switch, like you're you're not blocking Fletcher Cox. Period. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. So, yeah. I'd say I'd say those two guys, Fletcher Cox and Zach Kerr. Yeah, I'll stay out of I'll stay out of that. Stay out of his way. <laughs> Coolest NFL moment that you had. Um, you know, obviously for me, it was meeting Jason Kelsey, man. Yeah. Um, you know, being around him. And then obviously another uh, – honestly, everybody in that office and line room, I mean, it was just – it was crazy to be able to meet those guys. I mean, they're all pro bowlers. You know, you got Jason Peter. You got Lane Johnson, mm-hmm. Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks. You know, yeah. and then we – I mean, we had some, some rookies in there. But those four guys that I just named are all, like, pro bowlers, you know, future Hall of Famer kind of guys. So, you know, being able to – to, you know, communicate with them and, you know, chill with them on a daily basis. And then, you know, even like the guys on the guys on defense, like, you know, to this guy, to this day, I still reach out to Brandon Graham. Like, he's like, he's like a bigger brother than me. You know, a very inspirational guy. So, you know, just being around guys like that for, for a small school kid, like, that's like the most amazing thing in the world, man. It's like, you know, you're around all these superstars that if you didn't play football, you'd never have a, have a chance today in your life to meet these guys. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's very special. Um, so I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I'm sure you train a lot of guys, but who would you say like the best like pure athlete that you've trained over the years? The best pure athlete. Um, I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble for this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's not gonna be happy. Right. <laughs> um, the best pure athlete. Um, I would say the top two would have to be obviously Ernest is up there with all his capabilities on the field. Um. But then I would have to throw – there's a lineman that I train. Um, he, he goes to Toledo now. His name is Vitaly Gurman. Um, he played at Spencerport here in Rochester. Um, freak athlete. Like, he's shaped like a freaking gorilla. Strong as hell. He's fast. You know, the kid can play basketball. Like, he can just move, man. He does, like, freakish stuff. Um, I'd say definitely those two guys. And, I mean, um, and I would say the next one would be Keyshawn Howard, um, kid that played uh, quarterback for Fairport here. He plays – he plays. Um, he plays Division two football now. Um, he plays quarterback, corner, receiver. Like he plays it all. So I would say those three guys um, that I've trained man, are definitely the most athletic guys. I want to ask our boy Ernest. Yeah, I want. Yeah. I want to ask you what like if, if you've, I'm sure you've spoken to him. Like what's what's he up to now? Is it like in terms of getting re-signed by another team? Like how's that process looking for him? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, Ernest was Ernest was a uh, you know showing me film every day um, of what he was doing in camp and whatnot. I mean, I mean, if you watch the film, like if he was to put a highlight tape together of what he was doing to guys in practice, like I got told him I said, there's no way in hell you even got cut. I mean, he's he's such a he's such a, a freak athlete when it comes to you know running routes and whatnot, and that's something that he really worked on, um, and he really took that to the NFL, and you know he showed him what he can do. Um, you know, and he also has great punt return skills, and kick return skills. So he's a guy that is one injury away from being back into the league, back onto another team. So for him, you know, it's about coming home and preparing and staying healthy and getting his body where he needs to be in order to go play a 16, 17-game season. Um, so, you know, he's back home lifting right now and whatnot and, you know, just making sure he maintains his weight and whatnot and kind, kind of staying on top, of, on top of his film a little bit too. So, I mean, once you're out of the game, you're never really out until – you're out, I guess you can say, you know, right. for lack of a better term. Um, so you so, say you're out, kind of. Yeah, once you say yeah, you're man. Out. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it was like it was like a, a two or three year thing where I'm like, I I got to stay in the gym, I got to eat healthy, I got to do this, I got to do that, and it's like, it takes a lot of toll on you, 
when you're doing that and you're not getting the phone calls, your right. agent's not hearing anything. And then like for me, the unique story behind me was, you know, I wanted to go to the CFL, but I couldn't because what I found out was there, there are no, there are no American centers in the CFL. So the CFL has certain positions where it has to be Canadian because they have to meet their percentage. Center is not one of those positions. I didn't know that. So I'm talking to CFL coaches and I'm like, Hey, you know, I want to come on board, blah, blah, blah. And they have to, they have to get, get your rights from the NFL because you signed you know, a two year contract. They don't want you to go there and then, you know, get signed and leave again right. kind of thing. And I didn't make the cut as far as playing guard because I'm six, three, you know? So like, there's a lot of politics that go into football. So what now is- for me, it was like, okay, so my options are to play in the NFL, which is not giving me a phone call or go play arena league, which is, you know, 200 bucks a game for a lineman is worthless because you don't run the ball. It's all pass blocking, you know, and I'm getting, I'm getting paid to pretty much kill myself and, you know, chance getting hurt. So if I do get an NFL phone call, that might not be an option for me if I'm I'm injured kind of thing. So, I mean, it's definitely a hard process. Once you get out of the league, man, you just got to stay ready. Yeah. Interesting. There's a lot of layers to the NFL and football that you just don't know until you talk to someone like yourself or someone who's done yeah, kind of done that. I've learned, crazy. I've learned more in the last half hour than I could have ever imagined. <laughs> I know, I, seriously. <laughs> but um, on a lighter note, so you're obviously big dude, big rock uh, guy from The Rock. What's your go-to garbage plate? Uh, I'm from Gates, so it's Wimpy's. Uh, that's that's okay. definitely my favorite Wimpy's. garbage plate. I'm not, I, don't, I don't like, you know, there's a lot of people who like, like the Nick Tahoe stuff. I'm not a big greasy food eater and i know nick tahoe is a classic but mm-hmm. i need my i need my garbage plate to be like clean so to speak you know <laughs> yeah like not like wet yeah not like wet with grease <laughs> yeah yeah like i, I don't that. i don't want to be able to like drain the grease off the top of the kind of thing. <laughs> that's that's grease hots for you they had a whole yeah seriously <laughs> yeah we used to have this grease just coming out of the seams oh man like when i was young it was cool man but now yeah i'll be i'll be in the bathroom for four days. <laughs> yeah. it's only good for a, it's only good for a hangover that much exactly <laughs> yeah back in high school it was like the thing post double sessions you're like yep garbage yeah <laughs> i'll be good to go by tomorrow <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have one final one for you nfl is back we're one week in what's your super early super bowl prediction both teams on the winner listen man i'm a saints fan lifelong so you know i gotta go with my saints and then mm, it's a mix-up between baltimore and kansas city but i'm gonna go with baltimore so saints and baltimore and I'm going with Saints. We got to win that one, man, because Drew Brees might be his last year, so he's got something. I was say, you're looking a little old there. Looking a little old. <laughs> are you Are you hey, worried about last year, man? Are you worried about Michael Thomas at all? I'm not worried, man. That guy's a warrior. I mean, they say he has an ankle sprain. Like guys get ankle sprains every day. He's a receiver, so you know he's just a little prima donna in there a little bit. <laughs> you know, he's not going to go out there and play on it. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, we made a we made a big signing of Emmanuel Sanders this year. So you know, hopefully Emmanuel yep. can 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 hop in there and do what he has to do this week. You know, we'll see. All right. I mean, you know, honestly, for me, man, I'm just glad football is back. I can't, I can't wait to watch it tonight. <laughs> I know, yeah. Where who, you go? who we got tonight? Who we got tonight? Who you, who you think? Mm, I'm an LSU fan, so you know, you got Joe Burrow. All we right. Love I'm, gonna Joe go, B. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go with my guy, man. I got Joey B. Get that first win. <laughs> you know what? I love Burrow. He did deserve that win last week, but oh yeah, yeah. Listen, I mean, he, he's he's putting all the pieces together. I mean, he's I don't think he's ever had this much talent ever surrounding him. So once right. they learn how to, you know, give Joe Mixon the ball a little bit and then, you know, A.J. Green's finally healthy, um, I think they're going to be something serious, man, once, once Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow gets into a groove. 
for sure. I agree. Awesome, man. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I learned, sure. I learned <laughs> so much about the NFL and football in general that I didn't know it. It was like going to football going. school, man. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like it. Let's get your background later in the year when we're, we're halfway through the season and we're just confused about what the hell's going on. These teams, <laughs> are good. why isn't this team? Hey. Good? Why is this team good? And you'll have to just break it down again. <laughs> Listen, man, just let me know. I'll definitely be down for that. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate. No problem. It. Oh, and Bruce, where can we find you on social media? I want to make sure our followers can uh, toss you. Um, if you go on my Instagram page, it is Bruce J underscore five five. Um, you know, Facebook is just Bruce Johnson, and but I'm, I'm usually on uh, on um, Instagram and Twitter. My Twitter my Twitter handle is the exact same thing, Bruce J underscore five five. Awesome, awesome. Appreciate you, Bruce. All right, no problem. Thank you. Thanks. Man. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back, everyone. Hopefully, you enjoyed that interview with former NFL center Bruce Johnson. Little fumble recovery pile talk little read the defense talk, explain to us what a pro style offense actually means, which is was pretty cool. But we'll move on now to our big four breakdown, kicking it off with the NFL. We'll keep in the, in the Bruce Johnson realm. Congratulations to Joe Buck. That was cool. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, know, it I didn't know it was coming. So Joe Buck people, I feel like it's, he's a two sided guy. You either really don't like Joe Buck for whatever reason, or you either really like him. And I've always really liked him. I've always loved his voice, loved the game. I never got that about him. I don't, I don't know. So some people not like Joe Buck. Yeah. Every every big game that anyone's watched in the last 30 years, he's called. It's like, how how do you, who, who else could you like? Because he gets all the games that matter. I I don't know how, every sport, every sport too. It's not just, I I, I don't get like who, like, who are you listening to that we aren't? Because he calls all the big games. And, like, I hate Joe Buck. It's like, you haven't heard anyone else do it. He's had the job for, like, 30 years. <laughs> I think people, from what I've read up on, people's alleged gripes are, like, sometimes he'll not, like, use the right energy. Like, when the play, like, the biggest part of the play is happening. Like, he'll do it too early or too late. And he'll, you know, I don't, I don't know. But to me, I love Joe Buck. Yeah. Call any sport, any day of the week, and I'll listen to it. Because there's plenty of shitty announcers out there that I just can't stand. But Joe Buck is one that I love. I love when he – like, to me, especially as a baseball guy, when he calls that World Series World Series games on Fox, like, I lock in for that. So. Oh, well, gee, yeah. I know I could go I could go through Sunday without a watch, just knowing, like, the 425 game on Fox. Yeah. I hear, I hear Joe Buck and Aikman. I'm like, okay, it's 430. Yeah. I know what time it is now. Yeah. Yep. Don't even look. And they've been together for so long, which is awesome. And yeah. it was cool because they had Aikman wearing his, like, Hall of Fame jacket in the booth on Thursday night. And he goes, congrats, brother. Like, got to get you a jacket now. And Joe Buck was so thrown off. He had, no, he had nothing to say. He had, like – he's like, well, all right, uh, back to the game. Like, he had nothing – he was so rattled. So, it was, it was cool to see. It's crazy that they've been together for, I think they said 19 years. That's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. But, but we'll stay on Thursday night in the realm. We'll, we'll do a little review with – with Cleveland and Cincy. That was a good game. It, it was. That was a fun, was a fun game. Yeah, no, it was like, I don't think I was expecting it, but, man, Joey B slung the ball. They, they made him throw it 61 times. I, I think they saw their run game wasn't going to work, so he was out there tossing it. Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on him, but I, I hope – I, 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 think, I think Joe Burrow is an immediately – like I think he's a good quarterback. I know he's still a rookie two games in, overreaction city, but I don't I, – there is something about – like his – journey just doesn't happen to a normal guy like he has something in him that like switched on that literally just changed his life forever I think he's now is like 
forever locked in to like being an absolute stud and a guy who always competes. Uh, he, he reminds me kind of how of how when Baker came, I thought Baker was going to be like legit every year, and he hasn't. The last two years have been kind of rough, but his rookie year he was awesome. So to me, they're kind of similar in that regard. Like they're both winners, um, and I don't know. And Baker looked good too last night or on Thursday. So yeah, I don't know. I know a big question I saw like McAfee and much more a big podcast posting like you know who's going to have a better career like looking back ten years from now, and and it's kind of unfair to Baker Mayfield because I mean, it's not like he's like, it's not like he's not like out there doing something. He's not like he's not like garbage. Right. He's just, he's been like struggling. So, and Joe Burrow's only played two games. So like, you don't like you don't know what the hell's gonna happen to him. And I know our next our next note, the Cincinnati offensive line. I mean, if they don't use every single draft pick next year to pick a brand new offensive line, they're they're so drunk because they are awful. Yeah. I mentioned I, that's why the things that Joe Burrow did with again the Bengals aren't like terrible. They have AJ Green, Boyd, T Higgins, makes them. They have a good offense, but their line is absolutely poo poo. So if that kid gets a line, I think he's in for like a very very good career. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, they have some weapons right now that they can utilize. Yeah, AJ Green is definitely Higgins, is definitely showing his age a little bit. He didn't yeah. look that sharp. But I think Boyd is at, Boyd's a stud. I think T. Higgins is going to be pretty good. You got Mixon in the back there. Someone can block for him. Like he's an elite talent. Just Bernard Bernard looks looked decent. He looks he looked like he was younger again. Um, no, they have a, their team's fine. They're, they're deep. I think both. I think the Browns and the Bengals defense are both. Awful. I was very surprised about the Browns defense because they were getting, they were getting just smoked. Yeah, I know. Denzel Ward was locking up AJ, and they have a good D line. Like they were obviously all over Burrow. I just. I don't, I don't know. They still put up, what, like 30 points? Yeah. Oh, uh, so, uh, yeah. That one, that one fault when Bro got sacked on his own, like, three-yard line and he fumbled it, he got leveled on that. Like, that's the yeah. shit that I'm talking about. Like, he wasn't in the pocket for that long, and he stepped up and just stripped. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're lying. They, they better use every single draft pick to get a brand-new line because they they're terrible. Right. But going back to your original point of, of his – like journey, like going, before last season, he was a projected fourth round draft pick, and he skyrocketed from fourth round to the number one, like highly. I think you, I think even that was still kind of like a reach. For like what what he had going into his senior year, I think fourth round would have been like ideal for him. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like, a, like, like a, he was like, a very average quarterback year where he wasn't very yeah. accurate. Like, but again, also to your point, like he does just have it. Like. He, he was so pissed off post game. There's something inside him that's losing, different now. Yeah, about losing two games in a row. He said, "I've never lost two games in a row in like my life," and that's the difference between like to me the difference between him and Baker is like Baker's gonna get in your face and like he'll talk shit and he knows that if he's gotta back it up and if he doesn't back it up like he knows like oh, I didn't back it up like I talk the talk I gotta walk walk. I think like Joey B is just like he's just like Joe Cool like. He knows he's good. He doesn't yeah. have to say it. He just knows he's good. And he's going to show up and not have to say it. He's just going to do it. So I think There's just something about him. It's like, that, yeah. like he's not like a different – he's like a whole different person. Like, he just has like – I don't know. Someone, there's, someone, there's, there's a switch inside him. Someone flipped it. I think Coach O flipped it. And, like, he's – I think he's destined to be like, you know, like to challenge like a, like a Hall of Fame career. If he, like, stays healthy and has, like, a good team around him, like – I don't know, he should, I, I'm very impressed with him in the first – I know his stats aren't, like, crazy, but, like, in the first two games of his career, 
I'm very impressed so far. His poise. His poise. He's taken some hits. He's gotten up. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's good to see. It's, it's a good trend for two games, extremely small sample size. But I don't know how you don't like Yeah, you got I freaking love that. I love that kid. <laughs> I love the guy. But final two points on this before we go to the NBA. The Browns running game looks solid with Chubb and Hunt. That's yeah. a good monster. Uh, Baker and OBJ finally connected on, on a great, great pass for a touchdown. Well, they, gave them that, they, they gave him that touchdown. That wasn't a touchdown. Yeah, it was close. But, but they needed that because if he didn't score that, Ob- like Odell would have started crying. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully they can continue figuring it out. I mean, it's not. it shouldn't be hard against the, the Bengals' defense to, to – connect but i do feel i do feel for browns fans because like i i have i have friends who are browns fans and like obviously they were just getting dogged on week one i was like oh they suck they're irrelevant and then when they finally play good and beat someone where everyone's like oh it was the Bengals. they're like what do you want us to do like they get so frustrated like we play the teams where we're, we're playing on the schedules so we can't pick who we're playing yada yada and they're like it is true it's like they play bad we're like, oh they're they're disgusted like they're awful they're like get them out of the league, and they they win. We're like, ah, oh, who cares? <laughs> they can't. They can never they get, can't get over anybody. <laughs> That's what you get though when you got on paper a very good team and you got all that hype. There's there's no middle ground at all. But, like myself, I, I was calling like a must win game. I like Stephen A. This is a must win <laughs> game for Baker, and they win. Everyone's like, ah, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> J.K. Baker, it wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> Moving over to the NBA, though, draft day, November 18th. Coming up in a couple months. And I mentioned it last week, but maybe we'll have to uh, get Lamb back on again. I'm going to speak into existence, see what he is. It's so weird to draft me. I, I need to like, recalibrate my brain now with like, five when, months. When stuff June. happens in sports. It's usually in June, right? So we're five months. Yeah. It's all, it's, everything's just like different now. Yeah. So that would be interesting. But some player news Giannis wins MVP. Boo! So stupid. This this is where I'm gonna go with this. So this is I'm I am an advocate for wait till after the playoffs are over for MVPs. Um, I understand that things change in the playoffs and some people rise and some people fall. But when I think of a most valuable player, I don't think of just the regular season because you don't. At the end of the year, you don't be like, oh, you know what? The Lakers won the championship. They had a great regular season too. I'm like, no, they won the title. And LeBron showed that he was the best player in the world, just as an example. If, if Giannis kept playing and won the title and he was the guy, like, that's great. He was the most valuable player in the regular season, and he led his team to a title. So he's obviously an elite player, and he probably deserves MVP for the regular season terms. Yes, he deserves MVP because they were the best r- record in the, in the league, and he played the best seemingly basketball. But – I'm always an advocate for way till after the playoffs because I think that changes a lot of shit, man. Clutch time is what my mind shows who is the most valuable. The NBA is in desperate need of to like restructure their awards because I I, do, I didn't know. Did you know that the the MVP voting was submitted before the bubble? Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, I I found out from just watching clips on YouTube and like just TV and I was like, that's so. That's so basically what they're saying is that. What Dame did was a completely disregarded. Not that he would want the MVP. I'm saying, but like, so basically, all those stats in the bubble didn't go, didn't account towards any awards that anyone won, which is so dumb. Because that's when it mattered the most. And we, and Giannis again, the Bucks were getting absolutely busted in those last like eight eight games. Again, they didn't mean much to them, but they were still NBA games when they were just getting like whomped on. And it showed. And, they, and it and showed. And they choked. And they choked in yeah. the, the actual playoffs. Yeah. And it's like. 
the NBA is the only league that hasn't like adapted to changing the awards. And I, again, I don't want, I don't think everyone should get a trophy or like any sort of like acknowledgement of being good, but I think there should be like the MVP should go to that, like the MVP. I, I know it sounds dumb, but like, there should be a, an award for like, you know, best like offensive player. Like who, who had the best like stats, like, like Russell Westbrook, but that year he went like, triple double, like, yes, his stats were great, but like the, the, the year he did that, the, the OKC wasn't that good. Like, why was he MVP? Like, they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, James Harden won it a couple years ago. Why? Because he scored 35 points and then did nothing when it came when it mattered. Like, mm-hmm. I tweeted the other day, the last real MVP was Curry when he won the unanimous, which he should have. He averaged, like, 35 points. They won 73 games. That's an MVP. He, best stats on the best team. We'll take that. And they, and they, like, well, they didn't win at all, but they were. They didn't win, but they, well, they, but they, they, were still made, they made the finals when they should have won it. But that's, I think that's regardless. That doesn't matter. Like, Giannis it was literally came to Orlando, the bubble, and was getting just getting worked on by everyone he played. And I, 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 I don't know how you don't give LeBron the MVP this year, let alone I think, I think LeBron, I think the MVP should just like start off being LeBron's award, and then it just goes down from there if he plays bad because we see every time he – Whenever he leaves an organization, the team immediately, immediately is the automatic worst team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. When he left Cleveland the first time, they won like 20 games. When he left Miami, they were they were pathetic. When he le- and if he leaves LA eventually, they're gonna stink when he leaves. Like, and, and obviously the Bucks would suck without Giannis, but I don't know. I just think. I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to sound like a disrespect to Giannis because he's absolutely. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't hate Giannis. Over and yes, yeah. His stats were his stats were stupid, but it's just like the fact that he was voted MVP before the bubble even happened to me is so dumb. Like, then why even do it? Then what's the point of those eight playing games other than like the last seeds? Like at that point, the the the, the top seeds shouldn't have even been playing if those stats just go out the window. So it was just it's so stupid. And just I, I, I think that, I think the MVP should it, it should involve playoffs. I know like there, there should be separate awards. Like okay, like, who like offensive player of the year, like something like that. Like okay, who has like the best? Like who's like who's just scoring buckets? Give that guy an award. Fine. Like the NHL now has like a like a guy if a guy that doesn't win MVP who scores the most goals, like they get an award for like best offensive player in hockey. It's like yeah, that makes sense. Like the guy that scores the most goals isn't always necessarily the most important person on his team. Like, I know, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but it kind of means it kind of is true. So, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see in any world how LeBron didn't win MVP this year. I, just, I, I really don't see any side of the argument against it. The, the only, the only thing I'm, I'm thinking of, which is probably what it is, is the fact that he had Anthony Davis next to him. So, there's another superstar. I, I, I know, I, yeah, that's, that is probably, that is probably why, but. But I, I, I I'm in the book, I agree. Last, yeah. I, by no means am I some like LeBron truther. Like I love, I like watching LeBron. Like I, I'm not some like diehard LeBron guy, but I do genuinely enjoy him watching. Yeah, watching him play on the court. Oh, yeah. So to your point, I agree. It should it should be like every year. It's, this is LeBron's award. It's, it should. It's, it's, I'll yeah. play LeBron to, to be. I don't want. I don't like. Yeah, I don't like Ryan so much. But I I love him. But it, I, it really should go by it's the fact to him, and somebody should like take it from him, which it, which can happen. Like Curry did it. Like a lot of guys have done it. But yeah. like, LeBron's like should be defaulted MVP. It's a, that's just a fact, though. He's that's been robbed of like he's been robbed of like five MVPs in his career. But you know, obviously Giannis is amazing, and I'm not saying he's bad. But just this season, I just don't see like LeBron leading the league in assists, and he won the Western Conference that had some like absolute 
stacked teams in the West this year. It's dogs. I mean, I, there was like seven teams who were like fight like it was. We saw like it just fights the death in the playoffs in the West. And the East has been kind of a wash. Like other than Miami being a surprise, but like I don't know. The East kind of the East like really fizzled out this year. They just weren't a good conference when someone was all said and done. So I don't know. Moving on though. Um, I like this question. I think did I put that? I think I put this in here. I think I think Jamal Murray is better than Westbrook right now. I'm not even lying. Jamal Murray is different now. I think he's like he's taking he has that next step to like all right, yo, I'm here. I'm gonna be. I guarantee he's an All Star next year. And he's I think he's I think he's going like skyrocket up in his career path. I have such mixed emotions on Russell Westbrook. There's times when I think like. Dude, this bro is like once in a generation, like all around. Like he can, he's just a freak athlete. He can. Oh yeah. His athleticism, but then you watch him other times. It's like he's out of control. He goes ice cold from the line, from the arc. He loses his mind, and I don't want to say Jamal Murray's better than him in my opinion because we've just seen him turn up in the bubble, which is obviously still impressive what he did and just taking over and scoring like 40 a game, beating the Clippers, but a lot different when we have – I want to see another full season of Jamal Murray at this level. Back I can see that. I just – I mean, I Russ, like, Russ, is, Russ is sneaky, like, not that young anymore. He's in his well, – like, he's in his, like, like 30s. He's been out for a decade. He's, like, low 30s. More, I, more than that. He's just – I mean, I, I like – I love the way Russ plays basketball. Aggressive yeah. and, like, yeah. in your face. I'm going to dunk it on you. I don't care who you are. I love that. But there's way there's way too many games that mean too much where he just goes ghost. He's just playoff. not he's not there. Including this playoff. There's a lot of yes. times like he'll do that drive like, the lane like out of points. control and like spin move and just like try and throw it back out of the arc and it'll just go nowhere and like he'll try and do some too much of the ball and then he'll lose the dribble. Like I, I, I don't want to get nit- ticky tacky with it because Murray is what, seven, eight years younger than Russ. So it's hard to like say who's better, but I think it will be a valuable argument. If Jamal Murray shows up again next year and for the course of another season does what he just did in the bubble, I think that's a very, very valid argument. They're different players. I just think what, what he's done at the guard spot, being the best guard and probably the best player other than Jokic on Denver, and he's come back from two 3-1 deficits against very good teams and, and, won, and won both the series, like on his back, like scoring 35 points a game. I don't know. I think he has a little bit bigger of a set of uh, cojones than Russ does in the playoffs, which yeah. is going to mean more in the end of it. Yeah. I mean, if he – think about this. If he beats the Lakers and goes to the NBA Finals, he's done more in one play. Oh, yeah. Than the this, 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 this is his third playoff. Yeah, this is Jamal's third year, I think, in the playoffs. Like, he'll be doing more in this one playoffs than Russ has ever done in terms of making yeah. the finals. Aside from the one year when, they, yeah, KD, Russ, and Harden made the finals, and they, 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 got, sure, yeah. they, got, they got busted by LeBron. But other than yeah. that, they've had no – he has had no success in the playoffs. Right. And that wasn't – that wasn't only his team. That was, that was all Durant. Speaking of no success. Uh, this is a, I, love, I love this. Alert. So, I, I think the Clippers are cursed, personally. Um, yeah, it's a bad, bad, bad organization. Who do you blame on? Do you well, – I, I blame – First of all, it's the players clearly just laid down and thought this was over. Secondly, first first, Doc Rivers has right. a history of this. I'll give you my blame, like, pie chart. <laughs> give him, like um, – give him, like – I'm giving like I'm giving like 50% to Paul George. I mean, what? 
I never seen somebody, I really, I don't think I've ever seen somebody just talk more shit and think he's like God's gift to earth and just literally dis, like disappear whenever it gets like heated or like tight. This man gets paid what, I mean, I don't know his contract. He, he makes a gajillion dollars a year. And this man threw a three-pointer off the side of the backboard in the playoff game. I watched that video like 10 times. I could not believe it. It was wide. It was like a wide open three too. I know I'm, I'm the king of exaggerations, but this past week, I, there's two things that I'm not exaggerating on. One of them is that Deandre Swift dropped touchdown. I swear to God, I would have caught that. Matt yeah. Stafford put Stafford put that on his numbers. I swear to God, I'm catching that ball with, with everything I have in me. <laughs> and two, if you put me in the corner three of an NBA game, I will not make it, but I will not hit the side of the backboard. And this man is getting paid millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he's talking so much shit and they think they're so good. He's throwing bricks off the side of the backboard. I mean, I, I think, I think he is the most to blame. I'm giving like 20, there are 25% on Kawhi Leonard, not really more so for his play. I think, I think he played fine. He didn't play like top tier, like talent wise, like how he should have, but I think he was doing enough that if Paul George did play, it could have worked. But most of my blame on Kawhi's part is that I think Kawhi is just Kawhi Leonard is not a good leader. He you have to I, I know his it's his personality and it's not who he is to be like both a vocal guy in the locker room or on the court, which is totally fine. That's how you want to do things. Like I don't I'm not gonna like knock him for that. But when it comes down to crunch time and the team looking for someone to like Paul George is again is in, in the corner like crying, like he's a shell of himself. Doc Rivers has been botching all playoffs. So like the guys the guys gotta turn to like somebody to like rally them. And Kawhi just doesn't – I don't think Kawhi has the vocal capacity to, like, rally a locker room and get them, like, behind him. Like, he's a very lead-by-example player, which is, again, not a bad thing. If you're playing if – you're, if you're dropping, like, 45 a game, like, how he was for Toronto like the other year, I don't know, man. I don't think Kawhi is, like – I don't know. I don't think Kawhi is built to, like, run a franchise. Like, talent-wise, yes. But you need somebody alongside him who's a – who is a leader who can like talk and get guys going because he can't. And the area 25% is Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is so sneakily not a good NBA coach. It's not even funny. He walked into a ring with, with Boston with, with three, three Hall of Famers, three of like the top, like top 30 players of all time. He walked into that ring. Before that, he was kind of a laughing stock. And like Boston, Boston, when it was just Paul Pierce there, they were horrible. They were a laughing stock with Paul Pierce and Rivers. Then he goes to the Clippers. He's done absolutely nothing with Clippers, and he's had. I mean, there's, 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 there's pages of. He's from Chris Paul, Blaker from that era. He had that team. Did, did absolutely nothing. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, yada, yada, yada. Did nothing. Doc Rivers is the only coach to have three, three, one leads blown in the playoffs. I mean, he's like sneakily like. Yes, I mean everyone raised about how he's a great person. I'm not knocking his character or anything like that. But like when it comes to like coaching basketball, like he is sneaky, like not that good of a coach. So I I I I'm going I'm going yeah Paul George most of the blame and then Kawhi and Doc can split the rest because I think they just they kind of choke but Paul George is a whole is a whole level of choking. I respect the pie chart. We way to break it down. And I don't really have much else to say on that. I think you you said it very well. Um, there's no excuse for blowing a three-one lead. There's a reason. No. That, there's a reason it's happened an exponentially amount of like a low 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 amount of times. Because there's a very, very finite reason why. And that's because it just should not happen. 
When you're up three to one in a series, that shows that you are clearly the better team in that series. And the fact that you cannot focus in for one of the next three games to lock in, make some adjustments and, and finish a game to just move on to the next round. It, it's mind boggling to me, yeah, especially, yeah. especially in the game of basketball where the better team out of all sports wins the majority of the time. Like yeah. you don't see very rarely do you see an eight seed going deep in the playoffs, you know, or, or a lower seed. Like for the most part, you know, what your final four in the NBA finals is going to look like at least three of the four teams. You're pretty confident. Other sports yeah. are different, you know, but the NBA is that sport. And that's statistically shown too. Like you talk to Vegas guys who bet like they know the NBA is, is it's typically the league where the best teams are going to win come the playoff time. So I, I don't know. I, I'm listen. I, I don't want, I, I know Kawhi, like his leadership. I agree. It's not, the, it's not like if you want to, if people compare him to LeBron, right? LeBron's a very vocal leader. He's going to push you, push you, push you. Kawhi is just more so like, hey, I'm going to come give you my best every day, but, like, I may not be right. the dude who's going to sit there and – Which is fine. If, it's fine right. if he has a guy next to him who can, like, who can take over the vocal duties. And Paul George obviously didn't do that. Yeah. He, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't play or rally the guys. So he was right. literally useless to everybody. Yeah. Like, he literally was just, just sucking money from the franchise, doing nothing with it. You know what's funny? I almost – I almost think it's, like, karma because the whole bubble – and Patty Bev was like the 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 culprit of this. Like, yeah, they were just, they were just like the they were just like clown people. Like he'd be Patty Bev would be running around the bench just like clowning people. Like anytime someone would get a block, like he'd be like the first dude like hopping up on like the the, the little barrier between the court and the bench and just like clowning people. It's like, dude, you have never won anything, so why don't you I, focus on the game first? And I said it on Thursday about I said it about like the Washington and Miami like giving giving bad teams like false confidence. I know. LA is not, they're not, they aren't a bad team, but like giving teams who have accomplished literally a zero, like when, when teams who've done nothing and are so overly confident, that's not a good mixture. Like LeBron has the right to be overly confident. He's done, been there, done that. Durant can do it. Curry, those guys have proven themselves. Like I know what the hell I'm doing and I can get it done. This team outside, outside of Kawhi winning that ring with Toronto and, and, and San Antonio, this team has done literally nothing whenever it matters. Literally, not one guy in that roster has accomplished anything in their career outside of like regular season stats. Which is why, which is why I don't, I don't want to. In my opinion, I don't put this too much on Kawhi. I do generally like Kawhi, and earlier in the season, I did say, "Hey, like I think Kawhi can arguably be put up there as the best player in the world." And I'm LeBron now. LeBron, yeah, it's. Yeah, I better not hear anybody mention those two names in the same sentence yeah. unless you're saying LeBron's better than Kawhi. I'll well, like that. Kawhi still showed up. Outside of I'm, – I'm, I'm looking at, like, I'm looking at Kawhi's five. stats right he now. Didn't, he didn't play how he played. He didn't play as good as he played last year in the playoffs. But, he's, he, again, he, he did enough that if he had a number two guy, which he thought he did in Paul George, right. if he had some help, they would have been fine. But there he had no two help. Times, there was two times in this series where Paul George scored 10 points. He, he's making, like, $30 million a year. Game seven, he had 10, four, and two. And then game – it's like four, ten, three, and three. That is not – that is not – that that's not – yeah, that's not player B, like 1B material. Like when no. you see LeBron last night, he didn't go drop 30, but he had 15 points and then he had 12 assists. That's a yes. big, big, big difference. You're not going to score. You better show up somewhere else in the stat sheet, and Paul Jordan didn't do that. So mm-hmm. that's like my point is this is – Like Montrez Harrell averaged like two rebounds a game. Like just – all the other guys with the biggest mouths just went – they won ghost mode. It's true. 
And not to beat a dead horse, but I do want to move on to Lakers-Denver game one because to your point of teams that haven't done anything yet, which Denver did come back from 3-1, but overall, the team in last night. They're like, hey, we're having fun. We're we're we're, we're, We're going for it. Right, but last night they showed a little bit of what you're talking about of the being a little overly confident, being a little overconfident because they yeah. came in, the, they came in this game and, and it was, I think it was the end of the first quarter and it was very glaring and, and, and the announcers were pointing it out. Denver came down the floor and it was getting really like early aggressive and like people were cutting fouls. Jokic got in foul trouble. Murray had a quick foul and then Danny Green got like dunked on or something like that and like he looked at the ref like what the hell and then LeBron came on the floor in next possession and came off a pick and ran Jamal Murray over and dunked or laid it up off him on one and one looks at him and just like does his little flex thing and goes and one and yells at him and you see like Danny Green in the background oh, yeah. like yo you are playing a different beast it's this yeah, isn't Kawhi this isn't Kawhi and Paul George this is yeah. the, the guy who has been to 10 straight NBA finals yes. this man plays zero games yes this is win it or his his life's he he would rather die than not win championships this, yeah. this is there's a different beast with lebron james it is and it's you can't deny it and you, you saw it with denver they were very very sloppy last night they returned the ball over the heat were, mcgee and dwight howard were giving Jokic problems down low man dwight howard came in that he didn't start playing he didn't play a single minute for the second quarter i didn't watch the full game i was really tired but i watched the entire first half very very intently and when dwight howard showed up and played Jokic, bro, he was in his pocket. He was the reason Jokic had three fouls in the first half and had to go sit down. Because yeah. Howard was just in his pocket. Like, dude, I'm telling you, the Lakers are they're, – they're playing different level basketball. This It's locked in basketball. And if Kyle Kuzma can just stop being an idiot, because he's the only one on that team had like a, pl- like a minus plus minus, I think, for last mm-hmm. night. If he can just figure it out a little bit, like, they're, they're not losing. Yeah. They're winning the whole thing. That's the only thing that worries me is him. And his kind of rogueness. But other than that, man, like, they are a locked-in squad. Absolutely locked-in. Speaking of locked-in, so is El Heat. The Heat. God, they're fun, bro. Dude, I don't know what it is. It's just, like – It's J-Bot. It's the, it's the, it's the F-U mentality. I don't I – don't, the Heat don't care. The Heat just do not give a single shit. And it's working. That's like, it's, it's working really well. They don't care. Like – this Boston it's, team is really I, – I really thought Boston would – the games the games are very, very tight. They were very close games. But still, it's like – I really thought Boston was that, that scrappy, like, mm-hmm. well, we're, we're, we're going we're to dog fight for the wins. But, like, Miami is like that, I think, like, times like 10. Like, they're they're like 17. They should have – they are that – the Celtics are that team. They just – I know, but I think, but I think Miami is like, like, you're scrappy. We're like, we're scrappy. They're like, yeah. we, we, are, we are not going down without – Tackling you, bleeding, punching—they're they're gonna kill you out there. You know what? I retract. This is an awesome. This is an awesome series. They're both they're, they're yeah. identical teams. I retract. They're both my very statement. deep, and I—I I, I don't know. I retract my statement of not knowing what it is. The Heat are that team that if you're a coach of like a youth basketball team or a high school basketball team, you need to sit that team down and say, "Watch the Miami Heat. That is how you play basketball." Because there is not a single on that team who has a bit of an ego. It's. Jimmy Butler came in as your veteran leader. He goes, I'm going to play my ass off, and I'm going to show you how to play your ass off because I know you guys can play your asses off. And that's exactly what they're doing. It is the most – it reminds me of, like, the Spurs. You know, just, just complete flow, like a zen flow of basketball. No one cares who scores. It's just like, yo, find the open man and put up a good shot and crash the boards hard and play good defense and meet people at their rims. It gets me fired up talking about it. And I hope they Spolster win. Spolster, I, Spolster, I love their – Spolster's a great coach, dude. Yeah. 
He's achieved a lot. I, final would, I know everyone wants to see Heat Celtics because – don't get me wrong. Celtics are still a good team. The series isn't over yet. It is 2-0. Like, the Celtics have clearly shown they can take leads. They just kind of finish it. But mm-hmm. the Lakers and the Heat playing, like, the smash mouth basketball on either side of the conference right now to meet in the, the finals would be something serious. And if the Celtics end up coming back winning, that'd be sick too. But – to, to see that young Heat, bro. If the Heat go to the finals, be, I think that's one. I think that's one of the most successful rebuilds in in modern day sports. Oh yeah, you were talking about it last week, I think. When I'm LeBron, Wade, and Bosh left, that team yeah. literally imploded. They, they had they had nothing. Yeah. They had literally nothing. They, and they're back about, in the finals. Hitting on hitting on draft picks the last two years. With they're back in the Dunn finals. Only, if they would go to the finals, they'll have been only was it? I think it's six years from when LeBron did it. Six years is not that long time to like rebuild a championship caliber team, and they did it. Like teams, that's what every team tries to do, and no one does it, and they did it. And they're literally doing it with four dudes who've been drafted in the last two years. Yeah, and you, you sign you sign one vet, and it's all yeah. young dudes. Well, yeah, well, actually, we'll count three because they they got Jay Crowder who helps. Grun Dragic helps a shit ton. Sure. They've had they've had Goran for a while though. He was the first guy they got after LeBron and them left. Right, but they brought they have those three vets. To my point that. They don't, oh, yeah. they don't care who scored. They're not ego guys. People think Jimmy Butler is an ego guy. He's more so just like, yo, I want to play this certain style of basketball, and if it doesn't fit with me, I'm going to go find somewhere else to play. That, that's what I think he's a, he's, a good, he's, a, he's a good ego. It depends on yeah, who he's playing yeah. with. But but, it's, like, it's a contagious ego that, hey, I don't care. What, we're just trying to win. I don't care about anything else. That's, that's, that's his ego. That's why he's bounced around, though, because like, when he went to the T-Wolves, he's like, yo, this, they're not trying to win here. When he was with the right. Bulls, they had a little bit of success. But after that, he's like, not trying to win here. And then he was with Philly, which, you know, I, I follow very closely being the same family of companies and I wanted him to be there, but clearly he felt like, Hey, like, yeah, they want to win here, but there's something that I don't, I don't feel right with. So I'm going to go to the heat. Like this is a young squad. I can oversee and have the control as, as like a father figure and play with them. And that's Pat Riley's an amazing GM. Wild. Such a good GM. Wild. I haven't had this much energy talking about. That was a lot of NBA talk. Let's go. Let's, let's, uh, let's shift gears now. It's playoff time. That's what it is, man. It's like the energy. I, I can hear it it's up. Getting, We're due to it's getting tight. Talk about this. Yeah. But speaking of playoffs, Major League Baseball, a couple teams have clinched as of Saturday morning. I don't, I don't think I've missed any teams. we got the White Sox, the Dodgers, and the, the Rays. So playoffs are starting on September 29th. Shout out our boy Danny Mendick. Clinching with the White Sox. That's so cool. They've been balling out. Uh, my bet with my buddy Cole Zimba at work is getting me a little bit nervous. Again, for those of you who don't know, I, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, there's a bunch of Yankee fans in the office, then there's our one White Sox friend. And he bet all of us Yankees fans 10 to 1 odds that the White Sox would beat the Yankees. I'm sorry, that the White Sox would win the World Series before the Yankees do. Next, whenever that happens next, whoever wins first. 10 to 1 odds. So. I have a decent amount of money. I will not disclose that I'll have to pay out to my friend Cole Zimba if the White Sox win the World Series this year, next year, any year before the Yankees do. And I'm getting a little bit worried. The White Sox are so good. So here's my gripe. And I need, I need fans to, like, text me, the- message me. I, do I hedge? Do I bet? Do I bet on the White Sox, like, to win the, to win the World Series? We're getting hot right now. The Yankees are getting hot. We're- I know. Baseball's real again, and, by the way. And the AL- Baseball counts now. Yeah, it does. We'll get into it's that. Real, it's real. It's real again. We'll get into that in a minute. Because we're good again. The AL is also a gauntlet. You have it Minnesota, it Cleveland, Tampa, the Yankees, the Sneaky Blue Jays, the White Sox, the A's, the 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 um the, the Astros are waking up. Like, 
we're talking about eight like teams that could legitimately make a run here. So that's why I'm not hedging yet, but I'm getting a little nervous. So stay tuned, folks. And I if think you have any discussions on, on betting, let me know because I, I'm meaning to hedge this bet. Because it's the money – let's put it this way. It's money that I do not want to lose. Like it's not just like 20 bucks. It's a little bit more than that. Oakland, Oakland is, an, is a goddamn wagon. I think – I don't know. I feel, I feel good about the days that are – I don't know. Yeah. Something different about them. Although Chapman, I think Ch- I think Chapman's out for the year, which is huge. He's, yeah, that's that's, huge. he's disgusting. That's huge. But they have some like they have some juju going right now. They're they're nice. Well, they've been solid for so long. They just like they don't have that like it like they just couldn't get over the hump of that wild card game in that first round. But this yeah. might be the year because they got some dudes who can chuck it too. But interesting, a couple things from, from the league standpoint: the league banned alcohol from postseason celebrations. Boo. I get it from the health side of it where you don't want, you know, dudes who aren't bubbled sharing beers and champagne bottles, mouths touching the same bottle. I get, get it from that, but. I don't That's so You might They've all been getting tested. They don't have it. They don't have it. I think I get it by drinking beer. My take is like, you can stop it in the, in the clubhouse, but like they can go to someone's house after, or they can go to, I don't know. Well, they're if they win the World Series. You they're going to be in. Dumping, they're going to dump something. The World, I don't know. the World Series is in Texas. There's no rules down there right now, right? So like they could just go to some place after the clubhouse and celebrate. Like I don't know. I, I, don't, care. I, I don't care about measures. I don't want to. I don't want to downplay the health and safety measures. The league's trying. I know. To I, here, I know some. I know some teams sell you way too hard when they when they like, win the wild card or like they win the, the division series. Like that one, I'm okay with banning that. If you win the World Series. Give me give me every Budweiser on earth, and it's getting dumped on my head. Actually, you know what? Retracted. They are going to be in a bubble. They are 100% going to be in a bubble. The Dude, whole I'm, playoff, t- I'm bubble. telling you, th- I'm telling you, what are they going to do? Find them? They won't get, they won't give a shit. They won't, they'll win the World right. Series. <laughs> They're, I'm, now I'm confused because they are in a bubble. The, the DS, the CS, and the World Series are bubbled between Texas and California, and then the World Series is a, is a bubble too. So they're not going out yeah. in, the, in the community. That's well, there there that's will weird. be beer. That's weird. Also, there's there's thoughts of extended playoffs happening for good. Um, I was listening to the Starting Nine podcast the other day with Dallas Braid and Jared Krabis, and they were really breaking it down. And before I let you go, Joe, I'm more so on the I don't like that train. I I get it for like – the, the fan of the team who's always on the, on, on the cusp of making it and, like, it'd be cool for them to see their team make it. But the cool thing about MLB playoffs, which you can compare it to the NBA playoffs, where there are teams that get in that just are there to be there, M- the MLB is a very elite amount of teams that make it. We're talking 10 teams that make it. And that's just – it used to be less than that. And I know why the MLB wants to do it in terms of a business standpoint, because it's going to make them more money in playoff revenue. It's going to make owners more money. And it's also going to water down salaries for players, which Dallas Braden, if you don't, if you want to hear it more in depth, Dallas, go to starting nine podcast, listen to Dallas Braden, talk about it. It's going to water down the salaries for players more because owners, if they know that I have to, Hey, just make the top 16 instead of the top 10 then they don't, they're not incentivized to spend money as much on players to be one of those elite 10 teams because all they got to do is squeak in the top 16. So I just want people who are fans of those teams who are squeaking in to realize, hey, 
you don't deserve to be in if you're a 500 team. Like, unless some crazy shit happens where you make it in a normal instance, you know what I mean? In a wild card team, like, it's like the bowl games in college football. I don't think a six and six team should make it. Like, that's a participation award, in my opinion. Like, you need yeah. to show that you're – you play 162 games to prove, hey, over the course of this unbelievable grind, our team is in the top ten. That's what right. playoffs. So now if you expand it, in my opinion, yeah, it's cool. to. to I, I'm always in for more baseball. More baseball that is super clutch and super tense playoff baseball. But from the standpoint of just thinking about the players – on the business side against the owners, like that's why I'm against and just the integrity of, of, of extreme competition and making the season count more. Because again, back in the NBA, you see that no one gives a shit about the regular season because they know that half the league's making the playoffs. So unless you want that in the LB, that's the people who run its choice, but that's my, my rant on why I think it needs to stay at 10 teams. I agree. I think you hit all of the points in the head. Cause and the biggest thing is that more playoff teams, you're allowing you're allowing GMs of like those mid tier teams to just coach to, to to like try and keep their job, not like excel at their job. Like you said, there's very there's no incentive for a GM of like I mean like the Pirates or like the Reds. So like year after year, like you know like right there like 80 ish wins, like 75 wins. Like they, if they were able to like squeak in the playoffs and like you aren't going to fire a GM who made the playoffs, you know, so like, or even like a manager. So they're kind of, they're kind of just like coaching or like signing guys just to keep their pockets full. And you're really not challenging them to make the really intense moves and get guys to put you over the hump of like a very, very good ball club. And the other thing is, and you said, you mentioned also that if they do do this, they better not be playing the 162 games anymore. Cause the whole point of playing a ridiculously long season is to weed out all the teams who come out of the gates flying and they fizzle out because they don't have the depth, the coaching, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're going to expand the playoffs, you better cut, you better play like a hundred games because which, which is dumb. They, they won't because the TV deals and all that crap. But like in theory, the the whole reason why we have to go through this like strenuously long, like, like so long baseball season is because you don't want teams who are flukes to make it. Mm-hmm. Which is which is proven to work because the teams that make it are like legit and they're amazing because they win a hundred games out of one hundred and sixty-two games. That's a lot of freaking. It's a and lot it's of never, freaking wins. Yeah, and you're never able to. You can go into the playoffs thinking who you know is going to win, but last year, to the Nationals are a perfect example. Like they were a team who halfway through the year sucked. They made a run. They came into playoffs, made another run, run it all. Like that's the cool part of the MLB playoffs. Like you don't, you think you know who's winning it all, but it's very rarely that you do know who's winning it all. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's I think it's it's just giving it's giving owners and GMs and managers way way too much big of a chance to cop out and sell themselves short to like, hey, I don't know, we won 180 games, we were the last seed, got busted round one, but hey, what, what are you gonna do? Like, and again, to my point, you aren't gonna fire people people who are make who are doing their job and getting you to the playoffs, even though like, it's really not the, if you're gonna go out there and just get swept, mm-hmm. what's the point? But yeah, I don't know. I think it's just it it derails the whole structure of the league and why, why the hell are you playing 165 games if you're going to let some team who wins 70 of them in the playoffs? It's just, it's really dumb. So they better either cut the season short and expand playoffs. I'd be kind of okay with that. Um, but still, I mean, to your point, a lot of the, a lot of the people, a lot of the fans of those teams who are like right now on the verge or bubble of like kind of good, not that good, who can make the playoffs in the structure. I'd be more pissed off if my team was, at that level right now, and they started making the playoffs. The, the the whole front office is gonna get is gonna get so complacent, and you will never get any 
free agents or I don't know. It's just it's a lot. You won't you, won't you won't like like the Yankees are. Well, I know Yankees fans, but it's a perfect example. Like they know that they need to compete every year, so they're gonna go into luxury tax to to sign right. those guys. Like those teams that have the money or the owners that have the capital, like. Their teams are on the cost. Look at the Dodgers. They made a, a big-ass yeah. group to get Mookie bets. Like, they don't care if they got to spend that extra money. Now, if, if you add those extra teams to the playoffs, it's like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe we'll spend an extra money for this guy. But, like, we know that we're one of the top 16 teams. So, like, we can get in and make a run from there. At least that's my mindset. If someone else has a different opinion, feel free to let us know. I'm more than happy to let us know. But, like, I have a hard time believing that this is nothing more than – playoff revenue and it's like, already I, outside the major markets like outside of new york la and like in boston and baseball it, it, teams it's, it's already a problem paying players in baseball it's already an issue and this is going to make it way worse because teams aren't going to feel as inclined and if they aren't doing it now and they are they're more inclined to get to get over the hump if you just give them that hump they'll be even less inclined to pay players and then then we'll go through we'll go through the same bullshit we had this year about the disputes on collective bargaining and like player pay like it's gonna that's gonna happen every year now it's gonna be annoying it's not gonna be good for the league anyway let's give them some, some positive news with our new york yankees after after joey was ready to cancel that will be season in his mind they said it was fake the yankees heard him i think it was dj lemay who first and foremost who came back and then stanton came back and then judge came back and now the Yankees are back. They've rattled off, I think it's eight in a row now coming into – coming where this is recording Saturday morning, but another big comeback win against Boston on Friday night. LeMahieu hits a big single. He is next. He is the machine. Lay machine, he, he's our battery. Without him, we are nothing. With him, he literally came back, and since he came back, the run started. I got Luke Voigt, MVP conversation. Yeah. I don't care. If you're, yeah, I want to take a second. I know I've, I've I've given Brian Cashman heat at some points in his duration as the GM of the Yankees. What a trade! We traded Jason Shreve, Jason Shreve, for Luke Voigt. <laughs> I mean, what 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 a trade! What a literally head head up, head up. Hey, we'll give you this loser who throws eighty eight miles per hour for fucking meatball Luke Voigt, who's just mashing balls. What a trade! He fills out the uniform. He's got the button, one button, one button too far to show the, the chest off. He's got the headband on. He pimps his home runs. He got 20 bombs in, in 50 games. That is absurd. I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a serious inquiry right now. Where does LeMahieu rank with baseball players right now in terms of, like, best players in the world? Because – I think after a certain point, we guys start giving this man his respect. I know he, he's. I think he's right in that tier below Mike Trout. Yeah, so he's 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 yeah. one of, if not the most consistent player in baseball outside of Trout, year in year out. If he wins the batting title for the AL this year, in terms of average, that is for those you don't know, the, the batting title goes to the person who has the best batting average. I think they said he'd be one of the first, if not the first. Ever to win to a both leagues. in both leagues. Yeah. And he plays every position in the infield. He can actually play the outfield too, the corner outfield positions. The only things he can't play or hasn't played is pitcher, center field, and catcher, I'm pretty sure. So he's in a Swiss army knife and he just he's, auto, he's automatic at the plate. He is, he makes the most solid contact I've ever seen. 
Anytime he steps up the plate, I'm confident that if he gets out, he's at least going to make solid contact, and it's going to go on the line drive with somebody. Did you see the home run he hit the other day when he got jam- – he hit the ball off the handle, hit it out to right field? <laughs> how, do you do- how do you do that? <laughs> he's a freak show. But the Yanks were the first team ever to homer six-plus times in three straight games. Baseball's that one real. inning the other night on Thursday night when they hit five bombs. Oh, speaking of that, I had a DraftKings gave out a promo – because I, I, um, I, I referred Kevin Burge. Shout out Kevin Burge. I can't believe I'm mentioning your name again on this podcast. But I referred him to DraftKings. <laughs> so they gave me a $100 free bet. I called Malcolm right before first pitch. I go, Mel, I need your help, man. Do I put the 100 on the Yankees to win by two? He goes, just do it. I sent it. Boom. So the Yankees are up 2 nothing. They tie it up 2-2. And then all of a sudden, that inning, they hit five home runs. I'm like, oh, my God, let's go. And I almost blew it at the end because they ended up winning 10-7. But I, they still covered. So. That that was the final straw of the of the three straight games of six plus home runs. Baseball's <laughs> real again. If unless we lose in the playoffs, then uh, this mattered. Yeah. But keeping it in New York, though, we'll go over to Flushing. Um, Steve Cohen officially officially buys the Mets. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I want to take my bias out of it and say. He is going to make the Mets better because he has the money to spend on players. And he, he does care. have zillions. He's going to go on a luxury tax and he's not going to care. He's going to bring people, he's going to bring players to the Mets. So for you Mets fans out there, I think you're in a good spot in terms of like, you got a dude who's coming in. He's going to spend money because he's got it and you're going to get talent. From the other side of things, and again, maybe this is my bias because of the people I know that work for the Corp, but I thought that this would be a really cool opportunity to bring diverse ownership to a league that needs it so bad. Um, when you have, when you have Jennifer Lopez, thinking it from a marketing standpoint, when you have Jennifer Lopez, who's a global icon who has got, I don't know, like 50 or 60 million followers on Instagram, when you're trying to grow the game, not just in this country, but globally, especially in you know Latin American countries and in Southern American countries where, where JLo has a very, very deep roots, it's hard to, to, to see like how you wouldn't want that to, to bring that light to the game. Uh, I, I obviously don't know what goes on behind closed doors and who had money come? Who had mo- enough money? Who didn't have enough money? Who made the right bid? Who didn't make the right bid? But I'm just looking at yeah. it from the standpoint outside of baseball alone, which again I think Cohen's going to do a great job bringing people in. But just from the marketing of the game, the people you could bring to the game, the new fans you could bring to the game, simply because I mean you know A Rod, he's part of baseball, right? But Jennifer Lopez is we're talking globally. So like if J Lo posts something saying "Hey, go Mets" on her Instagram, and 50 million people see it, now everyone's saying "Hey, go Mets!" Like. That brings a whole new dy- dynamic and demographic to the game of baseball. So, I don't know. That's just my take on it. I don't know if you had any thoughts. but No, I see your point on that. It's just, it, I think it's just – it's tough, and it's always the real – like you realize that money talks. And, like, when, yeah. when, one, when one guy can outbid, like, ten people, like, it's, like it's, – it, it's stupid how much – it's stupid how much he – I have no idea who this guy is, and this guy's got a billion dollars. I mean, he's got every do- – he's got every – he's got every dollar. Like he's all the all the dollars. It's crazy. So I think money. I think money just talk louder and not. That, I mean, yeah, well, let's get one thing straight. A Rod and J Lo. I mean, money ain't no thing. But this guy's got like, this guy's got like a planet full of money. So 
it's tough. That's all I really have on that. I hope I hope I hope for the best of the Mets. Like it'd be cool to to have like a relevance. I mean, he better. I want any better, but he better spend money. It's all yeah. point. He's a lifelong fan. He's got the money, so let's let's see what we're gonna do. With I it. think Mets. I think Mets fans would rejoice either way that the Wilpons are out, whether it was A Rod or and J Lo or yeah. Cohen. So I think they'll they would take it either. I've talked to a few Mets fans that I know, and they seem pretty. They seem pretty excited about it. So, but just really that was big news. I wanted to mention and. Just wanted to put that in there. But we'll finish up with some player news before going into the NHL. <clears throat> we got a uh, big, sexy Bartolo Colon. He's waiting to get signed again, I guess. So, in the meantime, he's playing some softball. And he hit a, an absolute bomb the other day. <laughs> 45-year-old beer-gutted Unreal. animal. Just, it was hilarious to watch. But I, I, had, I had to toss it in there because it was funny to see him based off the one home run he's had in his entire MLB career a couple of years ago, and now he's in softball just mashing home runs. It's pretty freaking funny. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think he'll ever just stop playing baseball of some know. sort. I think he'll just play until he's going to die. He'll just gonna die in some field somewhere, like 400 pounds. Yeah, right. His stomach in the first. That, that's why. Like that's take, like taking like BP. He'll be like 80 years old. I'm going to do some BP. And he'll just <laughs> die. And he'll be, he'll be happy. You better be careful. I'm pretty sure he's not able to swing around his stomach if he, if he keeps eating all that food. He's still hitting. He's jumping bombs in like beer league, beer league softball. It's awesome. It's awesome. But sticking in the pitcher realm, uh, Alec Mills for the Chicago Cubs through a no-no. Unbelievable story for him. Former college walk-on to now. That's why I love baseball. Throwing a no-hitter in the league. That's unreal. Nothing yeah. about it. That's so sick. More records. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's it. Yeah, more records to be to be. Talking about, though, Albert Pujols on Friday night passed the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays, <clears throat> for fifth all-time on the home runs list, all-time home run list, 651 bombs from the original machine. No, he was a little machine, but this is the original machine. And well, the- Albert, Pujols, Albert Pujols, does he, get, does he get enough respect, you think? No. I know he well, – Now, not well, – Nowadays, I think he does, but I, I think he deserves money. Dude, he's – You know why. You know why he doesn't, because he's in L.A. On the shitty know, Eagles, like, on a team that plays at 10 p.m. at night with Mike Trout, who also doesn't get enough respect because he plays at 10 p.m. at night and a shitty Angels team. You bring them back – you bring them back to St. Louis or you bring them over to the East Coast in a bigger market, that's all you're hearing about. I just, you- he's like – he's like – he's like arguably one of the top, like, 10 players of all time. He's so good. It's uh, it's the the most the uh, the most robotic, but at the same time smoothest swing, which makes no sense. Like he just stands like this. It's direct. He's like he's so stiff, but he's he's brolic. So he just just slaps the ball and it goes four hundred feet. Yeah, it's just a direct bat path to the ball. That's all he has to do. He's an animal. He's massive. I've always I've always loved his swing. He looks just so wide. Like it looks so uncomfortable, and his swing is pure. Yeah, I just always barrel. His forearms are the size of like a tree log. So uh, they're, like, they're like my legs, yeah. like my calves or his forearms. When I used to hit with Matt Dreyer in high school and college, he used because he used to, Dreyer used to play in the Cardinal system. Yeah. So he used to hit with Pujols, and he goes, "It's yeah, it's different. Like, far and away, just a different like anyone I've ever hit with. Like, he's playing. He's playing a different game. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. You're right. He is. He is. He's playing underhand baseball. I was just playing overhand. <laughs> uh, but. Unbelievable performance by Zach Plezak. 
on Friday night with the Indians. He, he pitched an inning. He threw nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. The Perfect only game. other time I have seen that in my entire life was Brian Dupre in the sectional championship when he pitched against Hilton. He did the same thing. He came in for one inning and K three people. I'm pretty sure it was in nine pitches. That, I, say, I did it on I did it on the show last week. You did? That's pretty sick. All right, so two things then. Joey did it on the show and then Brian Dupre did it as well. I'm gonna say that's like, it's like a video game stat. Just pumping like, pumping pumping nine strikes in three Ks. I, I didn't see it. In, I didn't, like, watch the – I got to find a clip of it. But when I saw that, I was like, dude. Cleveland's, Cleveland's not a funny team, dude. Cleveland, they need, they need new ownership, too, because they don't they – need, they need hitters. You Their pitching who, is so good. You know who owns that team, right? The Olin family. Shocker. Yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, mm-hmm. poor, know. Poor Cleveland. Poor Cleveland. They got talent, though. They, 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 can, they can make a run. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Before we finish up with um, some more home run pimp job drama, I just want to shout out Kyle Higashioka for the Yankees. <laughs> Three bombs on Wednesday, and it happened on my birthday, and it was an awesome birthday gift to watch the Yankees score 3,500 runs in one game. So shout out Higgy for making my birthday more awesome, and you seem like you might be ready to be the new catcher in New York if Gary Sanchez doesn't wake up. So keep grinding, kid. But anyway, final point before we get in the NHL. We have some more pimp job drama. Seems to be a common theme in the last couple of years. The old schoolers don't like when the young guys are pimping home runs because they hit bombs and they just, you know, this one in the Pacific was the Dodgers versus the Padres, which is a massive playoff rate or massive playoff implications for first place. And Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw was pitching, who was obviously one of the goats. And Trent Grisham, who was a young stud, hits an absolute nuke off of him stands in the batter's box turns around looks at his own dugout like let's effing go like hell yeah yeah. like which is sick because it's a big game and then like takes a time around the bases and people wanted him to realize who he hit the home run off of and show more respect to Clayton Kershaw for hitting a bomb off him and here's what I'm going to say real quick he didn't look at Clayton Kershaw after he hit that bomb. He wasn't disrespecting Clayton Kershaw. He hit the bomb and probably in the heat of just adrenaline for any of you who've ever had an insane like blackout adrenaline moment in your life, just was so excited to do that. He just looked at his dugout pumped up because it's a massive, almost playoff series and just like stood there and just like, so let's go to his team. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like I understand like, okay, you had to understand, you know, Respect your elders, respect the goats in the league, you know, show a little, you know, respect when you hit home runs. But like he wasn't looking at Clayton Kershaw and being like, here's the middle finger, bro. I just hit a bomb off you. I just How are we the soft how are we the soft generation when these old dudes get their feelings start twenty four seven? Do you see anybody under the age of thirty crying about this? No. no. I'm not disrespecting Clayton Kershaw either. I understand who he is. Like and if Trent Grisham that makes it better. You thought you had a home run with one of the best yeah. pitchers of all time. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to get my team juiced up yeah. and ready to go. But he didn't do my point. The point is he didn't do it to Kershaw. He wasn't like, you know how some people will pimp their home runs and they'll like, you know, stare the pitcher halfway down first base. He didn't even yeah. do that. He didn't even do that until he rounded a third and he was chirping the Dodgers dugout because they were probably yelling at him for pimping the home run. Which he's it's like, salty. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it'd be salty. Yeah. It's fine. I would yell at him too, but you know, yeah. something's going to happen. I, I, 
Did Kershaw say anything about this? I, I didn't see I don't this, know. I don't know. I just saw the I just saw like the, the drama about it. And what makes it better? That was Kershaw. I mean, I mean, I, I love Kershaw, but dude, people got to people are just people are so just out of touch with reality. Imagine being a batter's box and you know you hit a 500 foot home run off of Clayton Kershaw, and they want you to prance on the bases like like it was like nonchalant like right. oh never did never did the ballpark. <laughs> yeah. Like sorry, Clayton didn't mean it. Like I'll strike out next yeah. time. My bad. Get your crackers, Jax. He is nineteen twenty. <laughs> gotta run the bases, kid. It's like no, I'm gonna grab my, I'm gonna grab my junk, shake it, yell at my boys. I hit, a, I hit a bomb off literally one of, if not like the best pitcher of all time. I'm going to pimp it and I'm gonna walk the bases. <laughs> and they're and they're rivals. They're they're both they're both they're both Californian. They're both in division playoff chase rivalry. What do you what, what do you want them to do? Yes. You want the Yankees? You want the Red Sox to me start hugging after games, saying yeah. I love you? Like no. No. Uh, we get the we get the worst rap for our generation. We don't do anything wrong. We just blame us for shit. That's not our fault. Yeah. We're the soft ones. We got like guys like Goose Goss, who's like seven years old. Like every day, every game cries about how something happened that he didn't like. It's like go in your hole. No one cares about you anymore. People don't like change. That's it. Yeah, people they're they're all relevant now and they hate it. Yeah. Get over it. You had you had your time. You could have had fun too. You, you chose not to. Forget about it. Forget about it. That's all we got, though, for the MLB. We'll finish up with the NHL. Before I do go to the NHL, this is the most energy I've ever had in the last 21 episodes. It's a long one. Too. I don't know. Okay. I don't know if it's the playoffs, if it's like the heat of the MLB almost going yeah. to the playoffs. We're, we're getting some more. We're getting some meaningful things happening yeah. now. Like you're, you guys are seeing. You, you folks out there listening are witnessing the passion that Joey and I have for this for the for sports. And I hope you all can reciprocate that. But anyway, in the NHL, Peter Laviolette, hired by the Caps. Great coach in the league. Has won before. The Caps needed a little blood, I think, after uh, they, got a, they got bounced this year. A couple years removed from, from the Cup. They have a, a two-year Cup hangover, you think? <laughs> I, don't think I don't think they care. Yeah. <laughs> they're, still, they're still partying. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, Obi's Obi's still partying. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't carry that. Once you wouldn't want, it's like, that's it, done. Because like there, there's a that's how hockey is too. Like the Stanley Cup's probably like the most just like coveted like trophy. You know yeah, I mean? it's like football like, on teams. When, yeah. when teams like with the Eagles, if the Eagles don't ever win again, I literally could not care less. So like, many teams that are so much. A majority of teams that we'll watch in our lifetime will not win a Super Bowl or a World. Like these teams who win championships. That's why I hate I, teams who, like, gloat about how many they have. It's like, I mean, I would, too, if the Yankees – well, we do have a lot, but I've only seen two of them, so I don't really care. But I feel for those teams who just are never are just never going to win. <laughs> I was talking about just in the sense of, like, the trophy itself. Like, out of the NBA, like, Larry O'Brien, the World oh, yeah, yeah. Super Bowl trophy. Like, and there's other sports still drinking out of it. Yeah, like, that's the coolest tradition in, like, the, like, the yeah. championships sports realm. So – yeah, they're still, they're still passing the cup around somewhere. But quick little RIP to Las Vegas and the Islanders' hard-fought series on their ends. But ultimately, it's down to the Lightning and the Dallas Stars. I don't know about you, Joy, if you've been following too much, but in my opinion, the, the Lightning are on a revenge tour. They've seen enough of getting bounced too early in the playoffs. They, they have to win this because they're, that team is just stupidly talented. I was looking at just like – the metrics of these teams and it's like so lopsided 
But that, but it just goes straight hockey. Like anything can happen. And Dallas is playing unbelievable hockey right now, and they're winning in clutch games. They're winning in game sevens. They're they're playing hard, and it's it's Tampa's time to just close it out and get it done because it's not even fair what they have on their team. What a weird final. I know. Like city, what like city wise? <laughs> two, two. Tampa and Dallas. Yeah, Tampa and Dallas. Wow, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't watched a lick of hockey since like the first day. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun when I watched it. Just haven't gotten around to it. That's all right. That's all right. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Lightning four to two. There four we go. Two? I, I can see that. Yeah, they should be able to get it done. But that's all we got this week, everyone. A little bit longer. I don't know. We were we were emotional. That's sorry about it. Like, listen to a bit here. Listen to a bit there. Yeah, you know, you don't like it, turn it off, pause it, take a deep breath. I'm sure we, you know, I'm sure everyone feels our emotion. Oh, my God. I forgot. Oh, I, it was James uh, Gandolfini's birthday yesterday. The Beast, go. yeah. Grab some gabagool, huh? listen to the pod, break it up how you want. Yeah. Well, moose that out. Beast, yeah. All right, everybody, we'll see you on Thursday for NFL Week 3 preview. As always, thank you for listening. All we ask is that you share, subscribe. Rate us and never stop listening. Have a great Sunday, and we will see you on Thursday.